This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. to get to today. Our country and our planet has just taken a giant leap forward in terms of lunar travel. It is interesting, though, that we're just now in the year 2022 catching up to where we were in the year 1972. Uh, That is a broader discussion. We're going to get into that. And believe it or not, it looks like we actually might see some progress on the John F. Kennedy assassination documents that the government has been working so hard to shield from you. We're going to get into that. But first, there was a story that caught my eye over the weekend in the New York Times headline, thousands of teens are being pushed into military's junior ROTC. The subheadline. In high schools across the country, students are being placed in military classes without electing them on their own. One parent actually went so far as to call this indoctrination. A couple of things here. One, I have never served in the military. It's one of the many things about me that make me feel inadequate about myself. You know, there are all sorts of things that you feel as a man that you should do. One, it's know how to fix car stuff. One, it's know how to build things. The other is to be able to uh, be in the military and uh, wear the uniform of your country and be willing to risk your life for your country. And I have never done Any of those things. And that all feeds into my sense of inadequacy as a person and as a man. Additionally, I've never been in the ROTC. I have known a lot of people that have, when I was in high school and before I was in high school, and even after that, that were part of the ROTC. And almost to a person, male and female, Almost to a person, they all describe the ROTC as being a remarkably positive influence on their lives, even if they didn't go into the military, even if uh, they didn't do anything military-related as a career, especially for youth that was, you know, experiencing a difficult time in terms of discipline or anything along those lines in high school or junior high school. But... This is an area that I am speaking mostly from ignorance on. I never been in the military, never been in the ROTC. All of my observations are purely anecdotal. New York Times, which I think you can kind of take a guess at their editorial bent on this one. They describe a student in Detroit, Andrea Thomas. And on her first day of high school, she looks over her schedule and found that she was enrolled in a class with an unfamiliar name, J-R-O-T-C. She and other freshmen at Pershing High School in Detroit soon learned that they had been placed into the Junior Reserve Officers Training Corps, a program funded by the U.S. military designed to teach leadership skills 
discipline, and civic values and opened students' eyes to the idea of a military career. In the class, students wear military uniforms and obey orders from an instructor who is occasionally yelling. According to Ms. Thomas, when several of them pleaded to be allowed to drop the class, school administrators refused. They told us it was mandatory. Um, I know Curtis, I heard him talking a little bit about the ROTC on uh, Sunday evening. I don't know if he alluded to this specific story, but whether he did or not, I think this is interesting uh, because I am a big believer in a couple of things that are contradictory. One, I'm a big believer in giving students freedom, freedom to form their own course structure, to uh, kind of chart their own path in life, to figure out uh, what works for them academically. But I am also a believer in service. I strongly think, and we've talked about this before, that we as a country should take a look at mandating maybe a year of national service of some sort. Doesn't have to be the military, but maybe it's uh, being a teaching fellow. Maybe it's the Peace Corps. Maybe it's the military. Maybe it's any number of ways that you can help in your community. Because one of the things that I've grown frustrated with, and I don't think this is limited to young people, but I think Americans today, are they have a difficult time devoting themselves to a greater good and believing in a cause greater than their own self-interest. And it's funny, my wife, I don't know if she appreciates me sharing this anecdote, but we we were putting up the, uh, we have a little mini Christmas tree this year. We got a small one this year because we were afraid that our son would, would destroy a big one by pulling it down. We'll go back to the big one next year. And we were putting up just a handful of Christmas ornaments. And one of the Christmas ornaments that we were putting up was a John F. Kennedy Christmas ornament. And my wife asked me, basically because she knows I'm a student of history, she said, do you think John F. Kennedy was a good president? And I said, I gave, I think, a well-reasoned answer. I gave the answers, I gave the areas where I thought he did very well, areas where he did okay, areas where I thought he did very poorly. But I said, the one thing you can't take away from John F. Kennedy was he inspired a whole generation of Americans to pursue public service as a vocation. And they were passionate about public service because they were inspired to do so because of President Kennedy. That's something which I think the last 20, 30, 40 years worth of Americans has gotten away from. If you talk with an American today, not just a young person, but I'll say really anyone under the age of 50, not everyone, but many, I get the sense that many of them think it's laudable to be selfish, either economically or in any other respect. And I think we need to do something to change that in future generations. So I don't know that I would have a problem with mandatory ROTC service or mandatory ROTC classes in some high schools, even though that goes goes at odds with the first thing I said. So if you're not familiar with the ROTC or the junior ROTC, these are programs taught by military veterans at uh, some 3,500 high schools across the country. They're supposed to be elective. And the Pentagon has said that requiring students to take them goes against its guidelines. But according to the New York Times, 
They found that thousands of public school students were being funneled into the classes without ever having chosen them, either as an explicit requirement or by being automatically enrolled. They did a review of the junior ROTC enrollment data collected from more than 200 public school records, and it showed that dozens of schools have made the program mandatory or steered more than 75% of students in a single grade into the classes, including schools in Detroit, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Oklahoma City, Mobile, Alabama, etc., etc., to use the phrase that Aldamato loves to use. And a vast majority of the schools with those high enrollment numbers were attended by a large proportion of non-white students and those from low-income households. Of course, whatever the New York Times can do to make this a racial issue, they are eager to do that. So um, I was very interested to see the reaction on social media to this story. If you haven't read it, I'm going to link to it right now on my Facebook page. Give it a read at Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. That's Facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O-Fan. And tell me what you think about this. Do you think it's okay for schools to enroll high school students into these junior ROTC programs without their permission? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Why or why not? I have mixed feelings. Because on the one hand, the program is supposed to be elective. And it was elective when I went to school. I considered joining, but I had other interests that I was pursuing at the time and other time commitments. But anyway, so it's supposed to be elective and these schools seem to be making it mandatory. On the other hand, I kind of think this may help in terms of straightening out young people who are dealing with all sorts of disciplinary issues, who are in need in some cases of structure, who may lack a healthy respect for the military or patriotism and uh, playing a broader role in their own community. So I can see both sides of this, and I know that's probably one of my great failings as a talk show host. I listen to all my colleagues and you throw the most complicated issue in the world at them. This issue, that issue, this issue, that issue. And immediately they have no problem immediately figuring out what their position is on something and defending it all the way to kingdom come. I have never been able to do that. I see shades of gray everywhere and I see nuance upon nuance. 800-848-9222. I heard several people on Twitter actually make the comparison that these, and this is not me saying this and I don't feel this way, that these were the real groomers. You know, that term groomer gets thrown around a lot, usually as a result of uh, an adult that is uh, getting a young person ready to be sexually harassed or sexually molested along those lines. I think it's completely unfair to use that term, but I'm not sure that these I'm not sure if this is wise. This is a program that's supposed to be elective and these schools are making it mandatory. The role of the junior ROTC in high schools has long been a point of the a point of debate since this program was founded more than a century ago. During the anti-war protests and the battles of the 70s, there were protests over what was seen as an attempt to recruit high schoolers to serve in Vietnam. But here we are, 
50 years later, and there are new conflicts emerging as parents in some cities say their children are being forced to put on military uniforms and obey a chain of command and recite patriotic declarations in classes that they never wanted to take. And that argument really does resonate with me. I have um, no issue with ROTC being encouraged, and I am a believer to some extent in some sort of mandatory national service. You know what would make me more okay with this is if you had a choice of junior ROTC or some civilian program that also instilled some of the same values of helping your community, of uh, enhancing discipline, of doing things that maybe will straighten you out if you're down a wayward path. I don't think it should be junior ROTC or nothing. I think it would be better if you have a choice of junior ROTC or whatever the equivalent might be of the junior Peace Corps, something along those lines. In Chicago, for instance, there have been a number of concerns raised by activists, and an inspector general's report actually led the school district to backtrack this year on automatic junior ROTC enrollments at several schools. So uh, the times you can bet because of the racial component here is going to make this a big issue. Uh, This was the front page of the Sunday New York Times, and uh, that's that's tough space to get, tough real estate to get. And I would imagine there are going to be a number of follow-ups to this. Junior ROTC classes, if you're not up on them, they offer instruction on a wide range of topics. And I think they're all good things. Again, I say this out of ignorance. I never was in the ROTC. This is just secondhand and based on what independent knowledge I've been able to to glom. Leadership. These are all things you learn. Leadership. Civic values. Weapons handling. Financial literacy. And it's provided the military with a valuable way to interact with teenagers at a time when it's facing its most serious recruiting challenges since the end of the Vietnam War. And while Pentagon officials have long insisted that the junior ROTC is not a recruiting tool, they've openly discussed expanding the $400 million a year program, whose size has already tripled in the last 50 years as a way of drawing more young people into military service. The Army says 44% of all soldiers who entered into its ranks in recent years, came from a school that offered junior ROTC. High school principals who've embraced the program say it motivates students who are struggling, teaches self-discipline to disruptive students, and provides those who may feel isolated with a sense of camaraderie. And it has found a welcome home in rural areas where the military has deep roots, but also in urban centers where educators want to divert students away from drugs and violence and towards what for many people can be a very promising career or a college scholarship. So what do you think about this? Should these schools be forcing kids into the ROTC? Yes, no. You could take a maybe, which is my position, and why? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Peter in the Bronx. Hello, Peter. Hey, Frank. How are you? Good. I'm in the the maybe category. 
in terms of uh, it, it can be, like you said, an elective along with other community service uh, hours that that uh, students have to do. Like my sons have to do uh, community service for their school. Either you're feeding the homeless or you're doing community beautification, uh, things of that nature. Maybe ROTC can be just one of those things that children can choose from. All right. Well, that makes sense to me. And that's sort of I would be a lot more comfortable with this if they did that. Right. If you could pick one of four um, community oriented, leadership oriented uh, programs that instill some of the same values and teach some of the same disciplines that ROTC does. But um, I, I, I'm, you know, I guess when it's ROTC or nothing, that's something that uh, I don't know that, that I have a little bit of a problem with. Yeah, I agree with that part of it with you. All right. Well, thank you, Peter. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. By the way, speaking of the military, I do want to mention this. I will get back to your calls in a moment. Six open lines if you want to comment. Um, I am a big believer and a regular donor to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. I really admire the work of the Tunnel to Towers Foundation and people like Frank Siller. And this holiday season... The Red Apple Audio Network is teaming with the Tunnel to Towers Foundation for our annual holiday radiothon. It's going to be this Thursday, December 15th, my brother Nicholas's birthday and my cousin Natalie's birthday. Happy birthday to both of them from 6 a.m. until noon. And you can help us raise money for the Tunnel to Towers Foundation season of hope. All the money raised is going to bring hope to America's military and first responder heroes and their families. You don't have to wait until Thursday, though. Right now, you can donate $11 a month or more at t2t.othersideofmidnightshow.com. That's t2t.othersideofmidnightshow.com. If you donate through there, they'll know you heard about it through our show. And in addition to helping a great cause, we'd love to have some bragging rights because we'd love for everybody at the Red Apple Audio Network to see that our listeners respond when called upon. So happy holidays to everybody that cares about disabled veterans or the family members of fallen servicemen from everybody at Tunnel to Towers and the Red Apple Audio Networks. Again, that website is t 2 t dot other side of midnight show dot com eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 david is in the boogie down bronx hello david yes hello frank all right what upsets me and concerns me about this and, and let me just say i have a nephew my oldest nephew who's been in the army for five years he was um sort of discombobulated when he got out of high school and it's done wonders for him okay he's making it a career good for him but i'm concerned about this being targeted to lower income and minority students. This doesn't seem to be being forced on middle class and, let's be honest, white children. Why is that? The military is indeed desperate for recruits. And we know the type of people that they end up recruiting because people who go to college, people who have a future that doesn't include the military, wouldn't be interested in such a program. And it is supposed to be elective, not mandatory. That's the big issue that I have with it. Teaching people who don't elect discipline to be learn how to take orders is not something I could ever endorse. 
Uh, David, I, I have a tough time disagreeing with the latter part of what you said. I mean, I guess the the uh, the racial aspect of it, it's a reflection of where these schools are, right? It's no secret that there are more minority students in so-called inner cities and in cities that have a, a lower, you know, a lower economic, you know, per capita income than the white suburban school district. So I think... Those schools also happen to be students that are struggling with discipline. So it's not necessarily surprising to me that a lot of high school principals in some of those same inner cities, they may look to mandatory junior ROTC courses as a way to solve the discipline discipline problem. And I guess as a byproduct of that, that means, yes, uh, it's folks that are minority that are being enrolled. And these aren't problems that you're hearing about in suburban uh, in suburban white schools. What about, though, um, David, the the issue that some of these principals are raising that this can teach students self-discipline. It can teach disruptive students who may feel isolated, a sense of camaraderie. It can motivate students that otherwise might be lacking the motivation necessary to move forward with their study. What do you think about that? Listen, that's all fine and good, but it has to be elective. People shouldn't be, you know, basically forced into these programs. I mean, I'm wondering if these schools are getting some type of financial incentive from the government to do this because there have to be some financial incentives involved because otherwise it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And let me just finish with this because I think this is an important point to make. As a blind person who walks around New York City on a regular basis, I have noticed that the younger generation, let's say 17 through 35, are absolutely terrible when it comes to helping people who might need assistance getting across the street or things like that. So if a program like that will help people become more civic-minded, that would probably be a good thing. But I don't know if that's the right way to do it. I'm just concerned about the coercion. Right, right. So, David, I actually don't think that that we're this far uh, apart on it, and neither is Peter in the Bronx. What then do you think is the solution to solve that problem that you're observing uh, with a lack of community orientedness, a lack of civic mindedness among young people? And I would say adults in society at large, but at the same time, not wanting to mandate that students who don't want to take ROTC classes uh, don't have to take them. What would you do? What's the what's the David approach? Well, there has to be, like with everything else you want people to do, there has to be carrots and sticks. If children are having discipline problems in school, you know, like I was put into in-school suspension once for, for doing something. If, if you do bad things in school, then you might need to be required to take a class like that. That's different than just putting people in there willy-nilly. That, I think, would, would, would solve a lot of the issues that we're talking about because then it would be – I wouldn't say a form of punishment, but it would be a form of discipline that would actually help these students. Interesting. All right. Thank you, David. Appreciate that. If you, you want, if you want to comment, you can do so. 800-848-9222. One person that The Times spoke to is uh, an activist against automatic enrollment in Chicago. Uh, this person is 33 years old, and he said that he had become concerned that the program was brainwashing students after a junior ROTC instructor at his high school approached him and urged him to join the classes and enlist in the military. So schools, to David's point, do have a financial incentive to push students into the program. 
the military subsidizes instructors' salaries while requiring schools to maintain a certain level of enrollment in order to keep the program. So if not enough students enroll in the program voluntarily, then the school loses that military-subsidized instructor. So clearly there is a financial element here. How do you feel about that? 800-848-9222. In states that have allowed um, junior ROTC to be used as an alternative graduation credit, some schools appear to have saved money by using this course as an alternative to hiring more teachers in subjects like physical education or wellness. So uh, I think it's a tricky situation, but unlike so much of what we talk about, this is actually one that thousands of people, maybe tens of thousands of students, are contending with right now, and parents. So this is a very real issue, and it's one that I think we need to get uh, you know get a handle on. Uh, comment as you see fit, 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Morano. Let me ask you what should be an easy question. Uh, Unlike the question that uh, we've been talking about, which is somewhat complicated. What is a mozzarella stick? Or, you know, I always would say my whole life, I would say mozzarella. But then we did that segment on, on Galamad. And after hearing John Vito with his beautiful Italian accents say calamari. I'm trying not to go with those slang pronunciations of Italian words like mozzarella. So what is a mozzarella stick? Mozzarella stick. What is it? Should be an easy question, right? I mean, to me, a mozzarella stick is a little, you know, four or five inch little bit of mozzarella. Maybe it's fried, maybe it's not, but that's it. Well, of all things, I know this sounds silly, okay? Um, TGI Fridays is being sued over the mozzarella sticks. And I would think, all right, okay, uh, this has got to be absolutely ridiculous. And then I look at the lawsuit, and all of a sudden... I don't think it's so ridiculous. So a federal judge in Chicago 
has recently ruled, no doubt a, a judge that is a product of the ROTC school system in Chicago, a federal judge in Chicago, the town that Billy Sunday could not shut down, recently ruled that a lawsuit against InVenture Foods, the makers of TGI Friday's mozzarella stick-inspired snacks, can move forward. The plaintiff claims that TGI Friday's mozzarella stick snacks are misbranded since they contain cheddar cheese instead of mozzarella. The plaintiff had purchased the chips, which sort of look like Cheetos, on Amazon in January of 2021 because, according to her, the packaging and name really made it sound like it was going to have you know, mozzarella in them. A month later, she sued both InVenture and TGI Fridays, and um, apparently they don't. And this judge is allowing this lawsuit to go forward, which I, I'm sure means there will be a settlement. They're allowing the lawsuit to move forward against InVenture, but not against TGI Fridays, since the chain doesn't actually make the snack. They just slap their name on it. Who knows how this is going to play out? But one thing's for sure, this plaintiff is joining the legion of consumers over the years who take these things very literally and will get the legal system involved. A lot of these food lawsuits get a lot of headlines, but they don't really go anywhere. This is one that I actually think might go somewhere. So if you're going to have mozzarella stick on your snack, don't you think it should actually have mozzarella? Otherwise, why wouldn't you just call it a cheese stick? I would hope that this is a wake-up call to, you know, both TGI Fridays and InVenture, who makes this snack, that they will stop putting ingredients on the label that are not actually in the food. So understand that they're selling, it says, I'm looking at this right now, TGI Friday's Mozzarella Stick Snacks, original, and it says baked, but there's no mozzarella in it. So I think this is actually a very strong lawsuit. Some people may think it's silly. I actually think it, I think it's big. What do you think? 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Jim in Florida. Hello there, Jim. Hey, how you doing? I'm making a living. Good. You know, I wanted to comment about the uh, ROTC program. You know, back when I was a kid, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 60 years old. And back when I was a kid, they had ROTC in... uh, in my school, and and my school wasn't a predominantly black school or anything like that. It was, uh, you know, it was rural America. It was, you know, um, Ankeny, Iowa. I'm sure you've probably heard of it. Uh, no, absolutely. Um, and they they had it in my school too, uh, Jim. Right. And it, it it is in a lot of you know my school was I don't know it was a multiracial school, but. Um, they're not saying that ROTC is only being offered in minority schools. They're saying right. that in the minority schools, or they're mandatory for the students, whereas in other schools, it's it's elective, which is what it's supposed to be. Right. Well, my my deal on that is okay. We've taken out, we've taken discipline out of schools, and we put in these 
safe havens for these kids to go, you know, into a safe little closet where they can be pampered and everything. Come on, folks. I mean, really, I got my butt paddled when I was bad in school. I got my butt paddled when I got home, not just by my father, but by my mother as well. So take discipline out of the school Take discipline out of the family, and this is what you get. You get a bunch of out-of-control, pampered little kids that, that uh, oh, i got to go in a safe haven because, oh, they're saying well, uh, mean but Jim, things Jim, put, to me. Put that aside for a second, right? But the bottom line, the question that I think we're trying to answer is, should students, high school students, be permitted to be enrolled in ROTC if, no. if, if they didn't elect for it? No, right. So that's absolutely not. I don't think anybody is disputing your broader uh, criticisms of kind of the lack of discipline among young people these days and so forth. The question is, should schools be doing this? And I I think the consensus from David, who is on the left, uh, from you, who sounds like you're right of center. The consensus seems to be that, no, these schools shouldn't be doing it. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Jeff in Queens. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Deech, Paisan. Hey, uh, Frank, it's like uh, you order like uh, chicken parmesan, right? Or eggplant parmesan. Right. They use a mozzarella cheese, right? So why do they say parmesan then? Well, they have parmesan cheese on it also. Oh. They mix it? No. Well, so you put, I mean, uh, so I guess you've made chicken parmesan or eggplant parmesan, right? Yeah, you use mozzarella cheese. But then if you want to season it up, you put the, I mean, you use mozzarella. If you want to season it up, you sprinkle the parmesan cheese. And you sprinkle the parmesan cheese on the on the pizza, which has mozzarella cheese on it. Yeah. Which is the same cheese, right, that they use for the parmesan and the chicken parmesan. But they call it parmesan, but it's really Mozzarella. Yeah, well, so Holy there's God. actually, you, you're right, actually. And there's a, and first of all, I hope nobody sues over this because this is a delicacy. But um, <laughs> th- there are a lot of theories about this. And one theory actually lies in the geography of Italy. The cheese that we know as Parmesan is named after the city of Parma in the northern Italian region of Emilia-Romagna, where that cheese was first produced. So that would lead you to believe that it was named after the city of Parma. Now, maybe, maybe not. Food historians argue that the dish could not have been named after Parma because this dish, eggplant parmesan, wasn't eaten that far north in Italy. The dish was a staple of Campania and of Sicily, both southern regions in the country. So a lot of school, a, a lot of food historians, believe it or not, have tried to tackle the very question that you're, that you're raising. And I think the jury's still out in terms of why it's called uh, chicken parmesan. Uh, I don't know that... Uh, you're right, I guess. You don't have to put parmesan cheese on it. You could just do mozzarella. But um, I, I don't know. I don't know. Don't file a lawsuit over this one, Jeff, because that's uh, that would flummox any jury, I think. Well, I might order food right now. Now I'm hungry, Frank. Thank you, though. Yeah, you that's and good. me both. That's my problem. Thank you, Jeff. 800 yeah, you know, it's it's a good point that he raises, right? Is you can have eggplant parmesan without parmesan cheese on it. So, I mean, is that the same thing? 
Should TGI Fridays be able to sell mozzarella sticks without mozzarella? I don't know that you should. I just, I don't know. It's different. I can't explain why, but it's different. It's sort of like the Supreme Court's definition of pornography. We know it when we see it. 800-848-9222. Tony is in Florida. Hello, Tony. Hi, Frank. It's nice to speak with you. Likewise. Well, I was going to talk about ROTC, but the mozzarella thing is like a pet peeve of mine. Um, I hate when they mislabel things. In this case, it almost sounds like fraud, false advertising. Um, if you look in and you want to get some cranberry juice and you get a gravel bottle, it says cranberry on it, and you put it in your cart, stop and look at the back. And it's not cranberry juice. It's mostly grape juice with a little bit of cranberry in well, it. Well, but but the front, they, they call that, and I've seen that same thing, they call that cranberry juice cocktail. The one that I saw did not have that. Not to say that they don't you mm. know, make that, too, because there was a choice of, like, eight different kinds. And so I just grabbed one bottle after another and looked at the back. And there's very little cranberry juice in any of them. So even if it says cocktail on it, most people are going to think the main ingredient's still cranberry, and it's not. It's yeah. The, like, so juice. it sounds like if you were on this jury, and this is why I think Inventure Foods is going to settle, but it sounds like if you were on this jury, you would side with the plaintiff. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I, I think I would too, Tony. I mean, they shouldn't be selling mozzarella sticks that don't have mozzarella. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Andy B. on Staten Island. Hello, Andy. Yes, I think what it is is, say, if you order eggplant parmesan, then it comes with cheese. It could be mozzarella. It could be any, you know, the fresh mozzarella. But then if you want no cheese, you order just an eggplant sandwich, say, or an eggplant platter. Okay, that's the difference. I like the way you say these foods. How do you say calamari, Frank? Well, I always said galabad, but then um, when John Vito uh, called in, he had such a beautiful way of saying calamari that I have changed my pronunciation to calamari. Yeah, that's one of the things about Italian food. It has its best name. It does, right? I mean, even if it's not good. First of all, I mean, I think it also tastes pretty good. But even if it didn't, it just sounds great. It sounds like it's going to be good, yeah. That's right. That's right. I mean, you, what would you rather have? If you're thinking of a bread, a vegetable to have, would you rather have broccolini or would you rather have Brussels sprouts? I mean, come on. There's no contest. Or, or broccoli rob. Yes. Yeah, well, that doesn't have the same melodious uh, tone that broccolini does, but it's, uh, but it's a fair point nonetheless. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Appreciate that. Oh, sorry. I lost you. Uh, I didn't know you had another comment there. 800-848-9222. Give Ken uh, or Kenneth your comment. It is interesting. So Kenneth, we call him Kenneth. You know why? Because that's his name. He, there are other people around here that refer to him as Kenny. And he seems to wear that label proudly. He has no problem with people calling him Kenny. Fine. So then he does the sports uh, on uh, WABC in the evenings. Does a fine job with it. I'd say he's accurate with the sports scores, I don't know, 80 to 85% of the time, which is not bad. And um, 
I hear the news anchors throw to Kenneth in these sports reports, and they say, here's Ken Connolly. So here he is on this program. He's Kenneth, which is his name. Then you have his sports alter ego, which is Ken. And then you have him as his, you know, when he's going out gallivanting with all, for all these 25-year-old birthday parties, which he's out celebrating on a regular basis. Among those folks, he's, it's Kenny, Kenny, Kenny. It's very interesting. It's, it reminds me of the story of Kenny Kramer, who I was in touch with recently. We've got to get him back on the show, uh, who's the basis for the real-life character of, of Kramer. We'll have him talk about his Kennethisms when he comes back on 800-848-9222. Rob is in Manhattan. Hello, Rob. Hey, how you doing, Frank? Listen, I got. What about jumbo shrimp? I mean, come on. People call it jumbo shrimp. I mean, you know, broccolini is better than broccoli, but jumbo shrimp is an oxymoron. Yeah, I mean, it is an oxymoron, but come on, you know exactly what that means. It means it's a large shrimp. Shrimp is a type of food, even though the word shrimp is also used to mean something that's very small. So you know what a jumbo shrimp is, right? I mean, if you have a choice of ordering shrimp or jumbo shrimp, you know that the jumbo shrimp is a larger variety of shrimp. I don't think anybody's filing a lawsuit over jumbo shrimp, Rob. But don't ever mix broccolini with Brussels sprouts. Broccolini, he would call it in olive oil, is way different than Brussels sprouts. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying, if you're uh, to Andy's point, if you're choosing a food based on only its name, I think you're picking broccolini any day of the week. Rob, thank you for the call. I don't know what it is uh, today. I know the show is still young, but I feel like my meaning keeps getting lost on on folks. People aren't necessarily getting what I'm trying to say about anything. Now, uh, they say if you are if you're in a bar and you're the only one that insists that you're sober enough to drive that you should call a cab. So maybe if I'm confusing everyone, then maybe I'm the one that is being unclear. Maybe the fault lies not in the ears of the folks that are hearing broccolini or eggplant parmesan or jumbo shrimp. Maybe it's in the tongue of the silver-mouthed commentator you're listening to who knows you know i'm looking at this label of this friday's mozzarella stick mm-hmm. and it, and there are different food companies that make friday mozzarella sticks because there is one that says they use real mozzarella in one brand now the inventor brand on the cover or on the front of the package it says mozzarella sticks corn snacks and it says made with mozzarella flavored and other flavorings. Right, but apparently- it says corn snacks mozzarella flavored with other natural and artificial flavors. So, it, and yes, it does give the appearance right. that it's a mozzarella it's stick. It's misleading. And it is misleading. But it's not it's not the only company. In other words, I don't want I don't people shouldn't think that this is the only company that makes that no Friday's mozzarella stick has mozzarella First in of it. all, I'm, I'm glad that you felt the need to defend <laughs> TGI Fridays. I had no idea that we were hitting home so close to you. I'm very, uh, I'm a big you, fan you, of the TGI uh, Friday mozzarella stick. Are you? Stick. I had no idea. <laughs> yes, so, second, absolutely. Second, I said the judge in this case threw out the case against TGI Fridays. He's only right. allowing it to go forward against InVenture Foods. So 
whatever payola you're getting from TGI Fridays, their, their money, they're going to be just fine. I don't want you to worry. Well, I don't want people to go to, to Fridays and think, oh, I'm getting a mozzarella stick and it's really cheddar cheese. Yeah. Are you concerned about that? Are you concerned I'm about very, protests? I am very concerned about Fridays. Like a, like a Boston Tea Party style protest where they just throw all the mozzarella sticks into the into the ocean or something? As a lover of cheese as you are, you know a mozzarella stick is serious business. It, it is. That's why I don't like to see people conned, which is what, to me, it looks like Inventure is doing, which is why I think this lawsuit is very meritorious. Oh, and, I agree with that. Yeah. But I don't want other people thinking that yeah. Fridays uh, uh, is putting let's be, out. Let's be very clear. Be very clear about that. I wish I had my the bell. batteries in the megaphone that Donna had given me that um, we are not in any way besmirching the, oper- the, the fine products that TGI Fridays makes on a regular basis. I think I and have... And they're real mozzarella sticks that they do make. And they're real mozzarella sticks. They actually have right. mozzarella. Yeah, no, I, it's a fine company. Or, or mozzarella, whatever you want We to don't call. have any issue with them. I think I have, you know, I have so many siblings-in-law that I've lost track of what each of them currently does for a living. But I think I have at least one brother-in-law uh, that works at TGI Fridays. I don't know if he still works there, but I know he used to work there. So uh, I, I, we, we are big supporters of TGI Fridays, not trying to besmirch them at all. They're just fine. All right, we're going to continue with your call. See, what other radio show in America can go from the ROTC being mandated in schools to the great mozzarella stick controversy of 2022? Only this one. That's why you listen to it, hopefully. Eight, or because, you know, you don't want to get up to change the channel. Either way, we'll take your listenership. 800-848-9222, straight ahead. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. And what a moving yarn. oh, you little mouse, so won't you go away? Find yourself another house to run around and play. You scare my girl, you eat my cheese, you even drink my wine. I've tried so hard to catch you, but you trick me all the time. Ci stanno usure, gilla, basciusella, redumur. Ogni sera che l'esce, quando la casa è scura. Indomienze da cucina, balla sulla sul. Ma parlo malandrina, pura gatta sa paura. I love this song. This song is um, Pepino, Pepino the Italian Mouse. It's uh, an old school novelty song from one of the great singers of all time uh, and one of the great lyricists of all time, Lou Monti, who's one of my favorites. Uh, my wife will tell you, you come to my house, especially during the holiday season, you are going to hear a lot of Lou Monti. This song, though... You know, it, it's very interesting in that it contains um, lyrics both in English and Italian. And my grandfather, who was an Italian uh, immigrant, he used to play this song for me. And he was really into the, you know, as when I was four years old, five years old, he was really into the Italian lyrics and I was really into the English lyrics. It was one of those fun songs that we could sing together in spite of the generational and linguistic differences uh, between us. This song's very controversial, actually. And you know me, I don't shy away from controversy. Uh, be, mostly because of its depiction of Italian culture. I am sure it's also going to be controversial because of the Italian word for eggplant that we just played. But um, the songwriters 
of this song actually filed a federal lawsuit in New Jersey years ago against the Woody Allen movie Broadway Danny Rose. Because you think about, first of all, I love that picture, Broadway Danny Rose, because it has the greatest talk show host of all time, Joe Franklin, in a supporting role. But um, you have, um, it's just Nick Apollo Forte is in it. And what's his big song in that film? It's Ajita, right? And if you listen to the song Ajita, the melody, it doesn't sound a little bit like Pepino the Italian Mouse. It sounds exactly like Pepino the Italian Mouse. So they claimed, the writers of this song, Pepino the Italian Mouse, they claimed, are we allowed to play Ajita? Do we have Ajita? So they claim that, uh, this is Ajita. See, you could you could hear the similarity between Pepino the Italian Mouse and Ajita. Let me hear a little more Pepino. Obviously not this part. And what a moving yarn. oh you little mouse, so won't you go away? Find yourself another house to run around and play. You scare my girl, you eat my cheese, you even drink my wine. I've tried so hard to catch you, but you trick me all the time. So you could see you could hear the similarity. I don't think I don't know if they won that lawsuit. Uh, but uh, I remember this, that was a big controversy. And, you know, the, it's for a school, song for children. And I remember thinking this at the time when my grandfather used to play it for me. Um, it's kind of a downer. The end of the song, you know, Pepino tells the man who, you know, is Lou Monty, basically, to close his eyes and put his hand in a box, at which point a mousetrap snaps on the guy's hand. And I, I remember thinking as a five-year-old, well, that's weird. That's a, a fun song, an upbeat song. And the poor guy gets fooled by a mouse and gets a mouse trap put on his hand. All right, well, it is what it is. Now, uh, we'll get back to your calls in just a minute. Uh, a whole bunch of folks were uh, kind enough to reach out to uh, see how Carmine was doing. He's doing a lot better. You know, he's got the flu, so we've been giving him Tamiflu, and he's gradually, he seems more like himself. He's running around, he's crawling around, he's smiling, he's being more like himself, he's enjoying playing again, enjoying rebel-rousing a little bit. He does seem much more tired than usual. You know, normally he'll take a 45-minute nap in the afternoon. Today or yesterday, he took an hour and a half nap, and He's starting to experience some of the side effects of the um, Tamiflu, which uh, they warned us about that could include some some stomach problems and things like that. So day he's completed now two full days of Tamiflu, and he's got to be um, he's got to do five days. So uh, hopefully by the end of the five day treatment, he'll be just as good as new. Now, I did want to say, um, you know, when I came back from Mexico over a week ago, I you know, basically came right from the airport here and I was exhausted. I was on no sleep and I had intended to give a commendation to my brother-in-law, Adam, and his new wife, Brittany, on being married. And I omitted them from my commendation list. And I am embarrassed by that. So I apologize to Adam and Brittany and to all the O'Briens, whether they're biological O'Briens or married in. 
And let me give a retroactive commendation. And uh, hopefully, now that everybody's back in the United States, some more people get to hear it. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or mouse spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. I'll tell you who's got a real problem, and that is uh, the possible future Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. And Kevin McCarthy's got a problem because um, he has a very narrow Republican majority. There are 435 members of the House of Representatives. And in order to be the uh, Speaker of the House you need 218 votes. Now, uh, it looks like the Republicans are going to have, I believe, 221, uh, either 220 or 220, um, yeah, no, uh, either 220 or 221 members of the House of Representatives. So uh, that is a very narrow majority. And if you are someone like McCarthy, who wants to make sure that you are, you know, the Speaker of the House, that means, yeah, 221 to 212 is going to be the new breakdown in Congress. That means you have very little room to spare. However, there are all sorts of members of Congress, Republican members of Congress, that say they are not going to vote for Kevin McCarthy. Republicans in his camp, many in the Freedom Caucus, Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene is not one of them, by the way. She says she's going to vote for him. But a lot of Republicans in the Freedom Caucus, they are warning that they're not on board with McCarthy. They simply say they're not going to vote for him. So this has left open a number of intriguing possibilities. Like, what if he doesn't get 218 votes to be Speaker? Who will be Speaker? Right now, five Republicans are dug in against McCarthy. And while some people believe that those members will fall in line if McCarthy doesn't meet that 218-vote threshold on the first vote, a lot of other Republicans are concerned that multiple rounds of voting could open a path for a challenger to overtake him with Democrat support. Now, Um, Here is Congressman Adam Kinzinger, who is sort of a he's a Republican from Illinois, but he's sort of an anti-Trump Republican who's been critical of McCarthy from the I don't want to call it the left, but the kind of the center left, the non-Trump wing of the Republican Party. Here's what Ken Kinzinger told CNN three weeks ago. Now, I think he has cut so many deals uh, with bad people to get to this position that I think he's not going to be a leader at all. I think he'll be completely hostage to kind of the extreme wings of the Republican Party. And uh, I frankly don't think he's going to last very long. Maybe he'll prove me wrong, 
But uh, it, it's sad to see a man that I think had so much potential just totally sell himself. He's the one that resurrected Donald Trump. The second he went to Mar-a-Lago, like a week or two after January 6th, he resurrected Donald Trump politically. So he owns everything that Trump says now as a candidate for re-election. Congressman Andy Biggs, a conservative Republican, he is critical of Kevin McCarthy from the right. He's one of these people that's actually putting himself forward as an alternative for conservatives to McCarthy. Here's Andy Biggs on uh, Judging Freedom with uh, my friend Andrew Napolitano, a terrific podcast in which he talks about actually running against Congressman McCarthy. I call upon Representative McCarthy to count his votes and understand he doesn't have the votes. Step aside, let other people come forward, and let's get this done so that we can go forward on January 3rd in a more orderly fashion. But you know what? People say, oh, it's going to be chaotic. You know what? That may work now and then to have a little bit of chaos, a little bit of discussion, a little bit of self-reflection that requires some turmoil. So here's the scenario that more and more people are talking about. And this has gone from all of a sudden the theoretical, the sort of fantasy baseball, what if style, this, what if this happens, what if that happens, to now being talked about openly by members of Congress. They are saying, well, let's say the 20 or 30 conservative members of the House Republican conference won't go along with McCarthy. And you have, you know, maybe 200 or so, maybe less, maybe fewer mainstream Republicans that want kind of a non-freedom party or non-Tea Party style person. Could there be a scenario where some Democrats partner with some Republicans for a unity ticket for speaker, meaning instead of just having all 221 Republicans vote for Kevin McCarthy, maybe 200 Republicans and 18 Democrats vote for XYZ candidates. So um, I don't know that we've seen that, In the history, uh, certainly not in the last hundred years, it's very rare to have people cross party lines to vote for a speaker of a different party. The last time I remember it happening, it's not unusual to have people not vote for their speaker. Um, Jeff Van Drew, when he was a Democrat, he didn't vote for Nancy Pelosi, a whole bunch of Democrats, because they had campaigned on this. Oh, I'm not going to vote for Nancy Pelosi. They subsequently didn't vote for Nancy Pelosi. But it's much more unusual to vote for the guy in the other party. Um, Jim Traficant, who, you know, would finish all of his congressional floor speeches, those brilliant 60 second commentaries by saying, beam me up. He voted for Denny Hastert. Now, things did not work out too well for either Jim Traficant or Denny Hastert after that. But the point is that that's the only time that I remember that happening. It was in either 2000 or 2002. Congressman Bruce Westerman, who's a Republican from Arkansas told his Republican colleagues in conference just yesterday that this is not so far-fetched, the idea of a unity speaker. And he relayed his own experience as a member of the Arkansas House of Representatives. This is what he said. I was the minority leader in the Arkansas House. We flipped the majority. There hadn't been a GOP majority in 138 years. It was close. 51 to 49. 
our conference met, we adopted a policy agenda, selected our speaker, and thought everything was good until another Republican challenged. And he had the support of 49 Democrats. Quote, and this is from Congressman Westerman, I never in my wildest dreams thought Democrats would elect our first Republican speaker in the GOP legislature. We did it with secret ballots on the House floor, and I couldn't believe what was happening. I was trying to make the case to our conference that we better get ourselves unified or we're opening up the door for something like that to happen. So that's what's being talked about all over Washington. Now at least one House Democrat is saying the uh, the same thing. Congressman Ro Khanna, Democrat of California, same state Kevin McCarthy is from, he told Fox News, I am open to the historic possibility of a unity candidate for speaker who puts the needs of the nation first with an agenda of making us a manufacturing superpower again, a technology leader and more self-reliant. The American people are desperate for us to come together to solve big issues and ensure that we, not China, lead the 21st century. To achieve this, this is the words of Congressman Khanna, we would need a commitment to regular order on subpoenas with some kind of shared subpoena power. We need a leader who's more interested in legislating than launching investigations. The key is to empower rank-and-file members with more say in the governing affairs of our nation so we can compromise and get things done. Winston Churchill provided a model of a broad coalition government that achieved great things. This moment in American history cries out for a bold move in such a direction. My question for you, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, or an independent like me, could this idea, the idea of a unity speaker supported by both Democrats and Republicans, could this be exactly what the doctor ordered? In an era where we're so polarized and the first thing the Democrats do when they get control of Congress is impeach a Republican president. And the first thing that the Republicans do when they get control of Congress is impeach a Democratic president and launch all sorts of investigations. Could this be the exact thing that we need to bring people together and restore a little bit of confidence that the American people have lost in the halls of government? What do you think? I think this idea is intriguing and I've gone from almost not caring about the speaker race to all of a sudden now rooting for this to occur. Where do you come down on this? 800-848-9222. And before I give you the latest on this, which I think is also interesting, let me throw one other wrinkle at you. 800-848-9222. Let's say, look, there is no requirement that a member that the that the speaker of the house needs to be a member of the house of representatives speaker of the house can be anybody if there is a unity speaker now i imagine they'll pick a congressman that's in the house now but if there is a unity speaker it doesn't have to be someone that's in congress if there was someone that was going to be acceptable to enough Democrats and enough Republicans in Congress to form a majority. Who do you think it would be? Who would you like it to see? 
800-848-9222. Maybe an elder statesman who doesn't necessarily have a history of a lot of, um, you know, of a lot of partisanship. Maybe somebody like uh, Senator Bob Kerry of Nebraska, right? The former, you know, Vietnam veteran. Maybe someone like uh, former Indiana Senator Evan Bayh, right? Maybe someone, uh, someone else entirely. Maybe someone like John Huntsman. What do you think? 800-848-9222. I think it's pretty intriguing. Um, now, again, it, because it's so intriguing and so unique, that means it probably won't happen. But it is fun to think about, at least for me. Uh, Politico, they are throwing cold water all over this, the publication Politico. Uh, they write in their uh, playbook newsletter yesterday, as Kevin McCarthy struggles to nail down 218 votes to be speaker, chatter of late has turned to the intriguing alternative of a unity candidate, a scenario where a small group of moderate House Republicans would band together with Democrats and elect a centrist speaker next year. Sorry, but this is what Sarah Longwell on CNN Uh, Sunday smartly dubbed the Aaron Sorkin West Wing fantasy politics. It is kind of Aaron Sorkin-ish. I get it. We want to disabuse you, this is Politico speaking, uh, this morning of any notion that this threat is anything other than that, a threat. Let's first acknowledge that, yes, there are moderate Republicans vowing to pursue this should their hard right colleagues continue targeting McCarthy. We caught up with Congressman Don Bacon of Nebraska, outside McCarthy's office Thursday, and he floated soon-to-be former Congressman Fred Upton of Michigan or John Katko of New York as possible alternatives. Uh, Bacon said, if these five or six will not play ball at all, then I will work across the aisle with Democrats. So you have Republicans saying they're willing to do this. Democrats are also stoking speculation about a possible uh, potential cross-party coalition. Congressman Ruben Gallego, Arizona, Democrat. He trollishly raised it two days after the election. Colorado Governor Jared Polis later floated um, Congressman Justin Amash, the Republican-turned-libertarian from, uh, I believe, Michigan. The uh, Washington Post columnist Jennifer Rubin tossed out the idea of uh, Speaker Liz Cheney. I see that as a total non-starter. I don't see that happening at all. Um, This has happened before in state legislatures. You know where it happened most recently in my recollection? New York. New York. Do you remember when um, the Republicans partnered with the Democrats or the IDC, the Independent Democratic Conference, to have a bipartisan coalition and control the state Senate? The Republicans didn't have a majority. They only had it with these five breakaway Democrats. So it happened in New York. A few years ago, um, a centrist coalition led by longtime Texas House Speaker Joe Strauss helped keep the hard right in check for a decade in Texas. Uh, so it has happened before. So it is unlikely, right? But I think the harder it becomes for Kevin McCarthy to get 218 votes, the more likely it becomes. And I love it. I love the idea. 800-848-9222. That's uh, 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Ed on Staten Island. Hello, Ed. Hi, Frank. It's a great idea on paper. It'll never work in practice unless you take it to the next level 
and put a real nonpartisan, like a member of the clergy. And uh, there's no, there's nothing in the Constitution that says there has to be a separation of church and state. That was a myth started by Hugo Black, who was an attorney for the Ku Klux Klan, and he hated the Pope and he hated the Catholic Church. So I think your idea has merit. But it's got to be someone who's truly nonpartisan. Well, um, again, I, let's put aside the separation of church and state debate just for the moment, because that's that's uh, that's a complicated issue with, um, you know, with, with a lot of opinion on both it's, sides. It's but, a myth. OK, well, let's put that aside for now, because that'll lead us down a, a different tangent. Um, which clergyman who do you think would fit the bill as a good unity candidate for Speaker of the House? I don't have anybody in mind. Yeah, because I think if you pick someone uh, like uh, Cardinal Dolan, for instance, the Archbishop of New York, that might be someone that's not necessarily acceptable to the left-leaning members of the coalition. If you pick someone like, um, I don't know, like a a left-wing, say like an ultra-left-wing Episcopal or Unitarian clergyman, that might not be someone that's acceptable to the right. I was thinking more like a rabbi. Well, um, like who? Any anybody that you could think of, though? I'm Irish Catholic. I don't know anything about the Jewish faith. Yeah. Other. See, and here's my concern with that. And Ed, thanks for the call. Very thoughtful. Um, here's my concern with picking someone that's completely divorced from politics. I think one of the things we've seen with Donald Trump, and to some extent we've seen this with Mike Bloomberg, we saw this with um, a number of other, Mitt Romney to some extent, people that have never been in government and all of a sudden are tasked with leading something big, a state, a country, a legislative body. Because they've never worked in government, they don't necessarily know the tricks of the trade. And sometimes that's good, but sometimes it leads to them getting rolled by people that do know the ins and outs of the bureaucracy a bit better than they do. That's why I mentioned folks like John Huntsman or Evan Bayh, because they've been in government enough to kind of know some of the ins and outs, but they're not enough a part of the, 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 they're not so ingrained in the congressional culture that they're part of the problem, right? Uh, So those are the only two that I could think of, or three, Bob Carey I mentioned as well. But I'm sure there are a number of other folks that would be a good fit. Maybe someone like a Joe Lieberman, right? Uh, You could certainly see that. An elder statesman that's not looking for another notch on his or her political belt to guide the country through a tumultuous, polarized time that can do this on a temporary basis. What do you think? Um, do you think this idea can work? And if it can, who would be the best candidate? 800-848-9222. They're trying to get the um, the No Labels Problem Solvers Caucus involved. By the way, No Labels, I, I, I had this on my list to talk about the other day. They are having some problems. There was a big controversy about them the other day. We had Ryan Clancy on this program from No Labels the other day. It's a bit more than I can chew at the moment. I'm not going to get into it. We'll get into that the same day we do Ed's discussion of the separation of church and state. But it's pretty interesting what's going on there with No Labels. Uh, We'll we'll save that discussion for another day. But um, it's some folks are turning to folks like Josh Gottheimer, Brian Fitzpatrick, people that are part of that coalition as maybe a consensus choice for a unity speaker. Tell me what you think. 800-848-9222. Christine is in Manhattan. Hello, Christine. Hey. 
Hey. I got it. Um, and in terms of the Rossi, R-O-T-C, mm-hmm. they were they were saying, you know, drug-laden area, this and that, a chance to get out of poverty. Well, it's no coincidence that they're, you know, follow the money. I mean, these areas are in poverty because they allow drugs. They do this and that. And that's they is the government. Look at the border, et cetera. This is such an old story. And then and if you look at um, uh, medical trials and stuff, they always go to the poorer communities because they'll go for 100 bucks to try something. Um, it, it's, it's age old. And ROTC, frankly, um, Everyone is doing drugs now. It's just terrible in the suburbs. And there's no nuclear family anywhere anymore. It used to be sort of more in the unfortunately disenfranchised African-American households. But it's actually, it's spreading everywhere. Right. So, Christina, you kind of lost me. Are you for mandatory junior ROTC or against it? I'm only for it. If it goes to every private and public. Right. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. That degree of fairness makes sense. Thanks, Christine. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Santa Claus is coming to town. Uh, if you ever want to know what kind of music we play on this program, you could join our Facebook group, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. Um, I frequently begin the day with hopes of what music we will get to play on this show. And uh, that's the first thing I do, is to select the music that we play on this show. And frequently, I end up disappointed that those songs never make the, uh, never make the, the show. But um, I guess... Better to have listened and lost than never to have listened at all. Am I right? 800-848-9222. Uh, hey, we're going to go through the mail in a minute. I forgot to bring it in here during the uh, during the commercial. So we'll do that. Uh, we'll do that in a few minutes. Uh, Kenneth, if you have a minute, if you would grab, you don't have to grab all the mail, but grab grab some of the mail that's uh, in our adjacent office. That would be helpful. Meantime, it'll give me an opportunity to say hello to Clara in New Jersey. Hello, Clara. Hello, Frank. Hello. Uh, my my beef, no pun intended, is about hamburgers. When they label on the uh, packages, it always says 80% is chuck, 90% is surly. Why they they do this percentage stuff, but they should be labeled chuck, labeled surly. I'm very particular about my meatballs. I spend a lot of time, <laughs> and I'm known for them. And I feel that if you're gonna if you're gonna put all this time into something, they really should label what what is really 
Beef could be all scraps of all other meats put together when they say 80%. Mm. It's got to say chuck. It's got to say sterilized. That's interesting. I wonder, I wonder if there's been any legal action on that front at all. Well, I don't know, but it upsets me. I always wanted to call. This is the first time I'm calling because I'd be nervous. Uh, oh, no, no, in, need, but, no, no need to be nervous. I, I feel this is such an important issue because we're all eating meat and stuff that we don't like. I think you should have more shows on foods with uh, with uh, uh, labeling foods and everything. I, I, that's I, why I think a lot of people are sick. I agree with you, by the way, Clara, on both fronts. The need for more food shows and more accurate labeling and uh, the fact that I don't know if you heard the segment that we did on foods that we're eating here in America, which are banned in other countries. Did you hear that? Yes, yes, yes. So it's a real problem. And we are eating, uh, I hate to put it, we're eating garbage that's illegal in other countries in the world. And people don't even know it. They think that uh, by eating or ordering salmon that they are uh, making a healthy choice when in actuality they may not be. That's the same with tilapia, I hear. It's not really tilapia. Well, nobody should. Nobody should ever order tilapia. Tilapia is... Tilapia has no flavor. It's not a real fish. What tilapia is, is a holder of sauce, right? So it's always farm-raised. That If there's one fish you should never get, it's, uh, it's tilapia. Clara, thank you for the call. Now that, you've, um, now that you've broken the glass window of calling for you, you've got to make it a regular, a regular occurrence. 800-848-9222. By the way, it's funny. So I told you I went on my friend... Johnny Potenza's uh, talk show the other day. And Johnny's a great guy. He came to visit me the other day and um, he brought over a uh, a bottle of Jack Daniels, which was very nice, which we had some of. And he brought over um, a uh, container. It's not a bag. I don't know what you call it. A cylinder of Pringles. Now, I, from the time I was a child, I have never... I've never really gotten into potato chips. I could eat potato chips. It's not like uh, I, I find it uh, uh, like disgusting and I can't eat them. But it's just not really my thing. I don't really like them. But I know people love them. I, I don't know how it became such a popular snack. So anyway, Johnny Potenza is a talk show host. He's been on this show before. And he hosts this very good cable show. It's called Up Late with Johnny Potenza. And I went on it. And I posted the link on Facebook. Some people saw it. Some people clicked like. Okay. So uh, I'm texting with Johnny yesterday. And uh, I said, hey, great to see you last week. Hope we can do it again soon. And he writes back, morning, Frank. Yes, it was. Carmine is a cool kid. You could tell it's not from uh, Larry in Long Island who wrote this. I enjoyed his company. He says, do me a favor and please post the Up Late show you were on with me on your Facebook page. Now, I had already. But he says, we didn't see that much hype on your end. I depend on the guest to help promote the show. Drinks after the holiday, Johnny. Best, Johnny. Now, um, so I said, all right, Johnny's a great guy. And uh, he came all the way out. And, oh, I mentioned the Pringles. Carmine has fallen in love with these Pringles. When he had the flu and wasn't eating anything... He was loving these Pringles. He likes the crunch. He likes the mess that it makes all over our carpet, forcing his mother to clean them up. He loves Pringles. So I figured the least I could do for Johnny bringing me the Jack Daniels 
and Carmine the Pringles, at least post this on Facebook again and encourage people to watch it. So I've done that. I posted it up there yesterday at Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. And you know what? A lot of people have said they've watched the interview and they love it. So uh, give a watch to it so this way at least Johnny can see that we're we're doing what we can to promote it. So uh, if you want to watch it, if you want to share it, if you want to subscribe to Johnny's YouTube page, you can do that all on uh, my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Morano fan. Uh, we'll go, we're going to go through the mail momentarily. If you want to send me an email for possible inclusion in the mail portion of the show, you can email me at frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Interesting situation. I told you how Thursday morning of last week, I placed my water bottle, my beautiful 40-ounce water bottle somewhere. Thus far, we have still not been able to locate it. And I I can't tell you how inconvenient that is for me because that means I have to still keep getting up to fill a little cup with water. Okay. So I've been getting acclimated to that over the course of the last five days, and I'm gradually becoming aware of the fact that I'm going to have to order a new 40-ounce water bottle. But I also have two coffee mugs here. I have the um, Frank Morano coffee mug that I purchased from the other side of Midnight Store. And if you want to check it out, you could go to WABCRadioStore.com. Just search Morano or, or uh, Other Side of Midnight. It's a great mug. But I also have a mug that a listener sent me. I believe it's some listeners that we have from Virginia who came to New Year's Eve last year. And they sent me a great Patrick Henry mug. So I was using that as essentially a backup mug. So I keep two in different, I keep my other side of midnight mug above the locker where I keep all my other stuff. And I keep this Patrick Henry mug in the cupboard beneath the coffee machine. So lo and behold, as of yesterday, I have not been able to find this Patrick Henry mug. Someone must have put it somewhere. I don't know who. But it's missing. So I am asking anybody that works here that may have information relating to either my water bottle or my Patrick Henry mug, please. I mean, it's not the biggest deal in the world because I have a surplus of mugs at home that my wife is sneakily trying to throw out repeatedly. And luckily, I go through the garbage. So I fish them out of the garbage and then I hide them in different spots around the house. So we have a mug surplus at home. And I can easily just bring one of these mugs from home to replace this Patrick Henry mug. But I like that Patrick Henry mug. It's perfectly sized. It's perfectly proportioned. It's got enough sort of uh, decoration on it to keep you from getting bored during one of E. Frank's calls. But it's not so busy that it's distracting. So if anybody here mistakenly placed that Patrick Henry mug somewhere, uh, no judgments, total mug and or water bottle amnesty. I'm going to see where we are at this point on Friday. And if on Friday we still have not recovered either the mug or the 40-ounce water bottle, then I'm going to go ahead, trying to not spend any money right now, but I'm going to go ahead and purchase a new mug, I'm excuse me, a new water bottle, and then I will bring in uh, one of these historic mugs from home. Um, but uh, hopefully it doesn't come to that. I don't know where folks put their mugs because I looked 
see, I looked where I keep my mugs, and I've noticed other people have started putting their mugs there. It was my little hiding spot. It was the mugs and the K-cups for the coffee machine. Now I am seeing a whole collection of mugs there. All the other personalities have their mugs with their names on it right underneath it. I think maybe what happened is because I don't have my name on the Patrick Henry mug, people are, I don't know, assuming that's a communal mug when it's not. So, you know anything about this, uh, Matt Blaze? I have no idea about the mug situation. I have no idea where you hide your mugs or K-cups because I don't drink coffee, so I have no no skin in this. Yeah, you sound very defensive. Because well, I have no idea what you're talking about. No idea, huh? <laughs> no any, idea. Any, any sighting of the 40-ounce water bottle? No. Well, I mean, why don't you just buy another bottle? Well, I may have to, but it's like <laughs> the problem is I spend money, you know, so easily anyway if I can avoid buying a brand-new 40-ounce water bottle, I'd, I'd like to do that. I got to look at my credit card bill yesterday. It was much higher. I thought it was somebody's Social Security number on this uh, on this credit card bill. Now, so, where, where did you leave that, that water bottle? I think in the kitchen in one of those cabinets. You think? I think. So I, you don't even know? No, that's the problem. It could I, be. What about it? Well, it could be in the car under the no, seat. No, no. No? It's not there. No. Yeah, you never left the building? It did not leave the bill. All right. So, you, okay, you're pleading ignorance uh, on this. Fine. So be it. Okay. 800-848-9222 if, uh, if you want to comment. All right. We're going to go through the mail in uh, just a uh, just a bit. And then uh, coming up next hour, we're going to give you an opportunity to weigh in with some facts. Anybody that has a fact about anything, we'll invite you to call in. want to talk about the Orion situation. Uh, very exciting in terms of space travel right now what's going on and uh in the in the fourth hour of this program be don't be jealous tennesseans just tell the good folks over at wuct that they should be carrying the fourth hour of this show can you imagine being a tennessean you're enjoying the show you're enjoying the show you're you're feeling a sense of camaraderie with all these nevadans all these marylanders all these Alaskans, and then all of a sudden you're getting ready to hear the nice fourth hour of the show, getting ready to compete in the $1,000 minute, getting ready to call in for the 15 seconds of fame, getting ready to enjoy the wit and wisdom of Brian Kilmeade, and then bada-boom, you're forced to listen to something else. It's not right. And that will only stop if you, the good people of Nashville, reach out to the powers that be at WUCT, and tell them they should carry all four hours of this program. It's the only way it's going to happen. Only way it's going to change. So there's that. All right. Um, we'll do the mail in just a moment. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment on anything we've covered thus far, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. midnight. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is the Eagles Hotel California. This was on my list from today, but the, today's list, it fits with a whole theme. So this song really only makes sense if all the other songs get played. So we'll see how many of the other ones get played or how many of the songs that I requested, you know, on December 7th or December 8th get played. So there's no, no, there's no knowing, quite honestly. Um, all right. Without further ado, hey, let me, a couple of people have been patiently holding. See, you know what the problem is, is I, I have no control over the buttons. I need control over the button. And I think they are building another studio. And the, that is the one thing that I have requested, is an ability to control, you know, sound. You know, that's the one thing that we're missing. We And, you know, I don't know what happened. One of the microphones... One of the my oh look at this I'm looking at these uh, I'm looking at these this mail it looks like some good stuff here I'm opening it so that it'll take less time for me to open all the mail later but um, one of the things that occurred uh, in the studio is my normal microphone is not working it's actually missing it fell or something I don't know but um, that means I'm sitting in the chair opposite of what I normally of where I'm normally sitting. So it's a little confusing because I keep going to hit things that I normally hit with my right hand. And now I have to hit them with my left hand. But um, in any event, I know I don't have the ability to mute what the callers hear. And I and I fought very hard for that ability. So I won't be able to say talk over E Frank or something, which I like to do. But if you're E Frank. Today's your lucky day. What can we tell you? All right, 800-848-9222. Before we get to the mail, let me say hello to Robert in Suffolk. Hello, Robert. Hi, Frank. Uh, You mentioned about the, I think it was a senator in Arizona, the woman who declared herself an independent. Right, Senator Kirsten Sinema, yes. Right, and you had said that uh, independent is the considered or is the third political party in the United States? No, That's no, not, not a political party. Uh, the it's the it's uh, a, you have about 30 percent between 30 and 35 percent, depending on what poll you look at, of people that consider themselves independents. You have about a third that consider themselves Republican, a third that consider themselves Democrat and about a third that consider themselves independent. Okay, well, you're leaving out Libertarian, which is actually a, a registered party in, in almost every state. Right, but I, I, and again, I, I have voted for Libertarians for a lot of different offices over the years. And look, uh, Larry Sharp was a guest on this show for an hour recently, but uh, only at most, depending on what survey you look at, only at most about 5% of uh, Americans would consider themselves uh, Libertarian. And it's closer to about... 33%, which would consider themselves as independent. But I, I appreciate the opportunity to clarify that, Robert. Thank you. Jack is in Vermont. Hello, Jack. Hi. Uh, I really uh, enjoy your, your show. I've been listening to you for about a year now. Oh, well, uh, thank you. I, I kind of stay up all night. I'm talking, I'm, I'm thinking about this house uh, race. Uh, just, just about anybody could be... Uh, Voted in, you don't even have to be uh, a politician at all, or what? No, I mean, there's no requirement in the Constitution or anywhere else that the Speaker of the House has to be a member of Congress or or anything at all. You know what would be really cool 
would be if all the uh, Republicans got together and uh, voted in Donald Trump because he's the one who actually won the 2020 election. But, Jack, the Democrats are obviously not going to go along with putting in Donald Trump as speaker. Well, they don't have any choice, do they? Well, but understand, the whole reason that we're talking about a unity ticket for speaker is because Kevin McCarthy doesn't appear to have the votes. And so I think, um, you know, to say that Trump uh, would get the 218 votes that Kevin McCarthy can't get it just strikes me as as a little unrealistic. But you know what? I've heard other people suggest that, uh, Jack. I don't think Donald Trump has any interest in the job. To be able to 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 go to the House and um, and feud with uh, uh, 212 Democrats, I don't think he has any interest in doing that on a daily basis. Uh, I think he is a guy that likes to run things, right? And I don't think legislative leader is high up on his list of priorities based on what I know of uh, of Donald Trump. All right. Without further ado, it is time for Letters. Oh, we get letters. We get your letters every day. Mailman, mailman, mail today. Reach right in and pull one out. Those letters. I love those letters. Let's find out what you got to say. This is a direct message from the world of Twitter. This is from a gentleman named Tim, who says uh, it's a long, um, it's a long email here. Uh, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he essentially is asking about my idea to market the John Daly. The John Daly is the alcoholic version of the Arnold Palmer. They are selling. The Arnold Palmer as an alcoholic drink, and um, that's not what it's supposed to be. And he suggests a very interesting strategy, and he says that if I go forward with marketing this this John Daly for commercial consumption, he's good for a $10,000 investment. Thank you, Tim. I actually, that makes me much more likely to pursue it. Wonder how many other folks are into it. And uh, another another nice lady... Jilliana writes on Twitter, Good day and good evening to you, Mr. Frank Morano. Enjoying your show as always. You are doing a fantastic job as a DJ. Oh, little do you know, Gilliana, that the deep state that we have established here at the other side of midnight, my uh, music directives are considered merely advisory. So uh, don't be so quick to give me credit. Here, here in Melbourne, Australia, it's supposed to be 89 degrees Fahrenheit, but instead it's damn cold. The temperature is now 59 degrees Fahrenheit. Very cold indeed. Have a wonderful day. Take care. God bless. Thank you, Juliana. All right. Um, Robert writes on uh, Facebook. Frank, And you can find me, facebook.com slash Moranofan. I don't always check the Facebook messages, so the best thing that you can do is is either send me an email at uh, frank.morano at wabcradio.com or um, or you can um, just uh, send me an SMS text message at uh, uh, 816-8-MORANO, 816-8-MORANO. Uh, but uh, we will take a look at all of your messages. So Robert writes, Frank, come on, get out some power tools and put in the kitchen cabinets. How hard could that be? And I can't figure out how to get the AM on this car. I mean, really now. 
That was a reference to the fellow that called yesterday asking if uh, I was if I had a kitchen cabinet business in New Jersey. You know, it's funny. Dominic Carter, the first thing he said to me last night when he saw me is, you know, you really had me going. He said, you know, I've known Frank for so many years. I had no idea he had this kitchen cabinet business in New Jersey. All right. Uh, Carol writes, um, hi, Frank. Do you answer your messages? You know what I think happens is people message me. This is another listener from Australia. I had no idea we had so many listeners in uh, Australia. I think what happens is Australia, we're actually on at a reasonable time in Australia. So a lot of folks listen throughout the normal course of their day. So um, she's urging, she she then asks, she sends a guest suggestion and says, do you answer your messages? Carol, no. On Facebook, I generally don't. So, um, you know, the best thing to do is email me. Um, if, if Facebook.com slash Morano fan, um, you can, uh, you know, make sure you can reach me through that. All right. Um, this person writes uh, on the pronunciation of Salmon. Dear Frank, last week, Thursday, you had a very interesting segment on healthy food, etc. It was very painful to hear you mispronounce Salmon multiple times. And again, last night. You insist on butchering this word as well as a number of others. I guess for comedic effect. For me, it does not become you. And then he includes a Merriam-Webster dictionary definition to the pronunciation of salmon. The word salmon, as Larry puts it, like a number of other words, have a silent L. Would, could, should, talk, walk, half, calf, cock, soldier. Um... Well, soldier, the L is not silent. Have, folk, yoke. With regards, Larry, born in Brooklyn, not Brooklyn. All right. Well, look, I guess it's a matter of uh, of opinion, right? Why are we in an era where it's okay to pick your gender but not your pronunciation? Mike writes, uh, just curious. Uh, hello, Frank. I noticed this sign while driving through Montclair, New Jersey. I heard you discussing kitchen uh, cabinet resurfacing with one of the callers this morning. I know you're a man of many talents. The fact that you work overnights must give you plenty of daylight hours to pursue other means of financial support. I was wondering if this is your painting company as well. Is it affiliated with the cabinet resurfacing or a separate subsidiary? If it is you, can we set up a time for an estimate? Uh, I prefer Benjamin Moore paints. Is that okay with you? Probably after the holidays. And sure enough, he found a sign that says Murano Painting, and then it gives the phone numbers, free estimates, fully insured. Yes, uh, I want to be very clear. That is my painting company. 100% that is my painting company. All right. Uh, Jerry writes, Dear Frank, I want you to know that I am not tired of hearing about Carmine. Please continue to give us updates. I'm not even tired of listening to you when you're grumpy. Your show is the best on radio. I hope your darling boy is feeling better soon. That's awfully nice, Jerry. Thank you very much. Um, another f- Mike writes, hello, Frank. I agree with you on your opinion in regard to Kirsten cinema. She played like this, like a chess game. The Democrats know that if they don't let her run unchallenged, they'll split the vote between her and the democratic candidate, almost assuring a Republican victory. Well played. Thank you for a good radio day, Mike. Uh, Linda also writing on the subject of Carmine. 
Hi, Frank. When Larry first began speaking, I thought he might have been a good friend of yours and at any moment would begin talking about how much he loved hearing about Carmine. Hopefully he was just someone with a very strange sense of humor who thought he was being funny slash amusing. Very sad he he chose to call today with that message when you just finished talking about what sweet little Carmine went through this weekend. After all, he has the flu. I would think most of your listeners enjoy hearing about Carmine I would love hearing more about him. I'm so glad Carmine's feeling better. I know it's very difficult when the little ones are not feeling well. You could feel helpless at times. Thank goodness Carmine's doing better. I am sure he will be feeling his usual sweet self very soon. Um, Walter writes uh, on the Heather Massey interview that we did on Hedy Lamar. Frank, great show. I took notes and intend to email my four sisters and family to each get a card out to Mr. Dowling. That's that World War II veteran in Rhode Island who's uh, a widower now and whose daughter is asking for holiday cards from around the country. I posted that on my Facebook page. Uh, Great job, and he also enjoyed the Heather Massey interview. Uh, Douglas writes of my New Year's Eve email, Frank, I really appreciate your lavish email. Unfortunately, being partially blind from my injuries in Vietnam in 1971, I'm very limited in my travels. Usually my wife and I manage to travel to New Jersey to visit our four children and nine grandchildren and friends and in-laws during the holiday. I truly love listening to your nightly broadcasts, especially your outstanding interviews of a variety of guests. Keep up your great work and enjoy good health and much success for you and your family, by the way. I think your outstanding email should be forwarded to the Smithsonian Institute for Future Reference and Prosperity. Sincerely, Doug, always listening from Florida. Well, Doug, I appreciate that. But you saying that is the equivalent of Larry David's former mother-in-law saying, somebody get a sponge when there's a spill. So, Doug, you saying, well, somebody should forward this email to the Smithsonian Institute. You should forward it. You have the email. You have the power. So I would urge you, if you do think this is uh, an email worthy of greater preservation, please forward it to uh, the Smithsonian or the folks that are in charge of the Pulitzer Prize Committee. Uh, This is an email from Patrick. Dear Frank, I've been listening to your show since your Sunday morning show on another station. As an octogenarian, I have erratic sleep habits, so I hear many of your programs. None of your interviews moved me as much as the one with Jennifer Hubbard. If you didn't hear that, Jennifer Hubbard was the woman whose daughter was tragically killed at Sandy Hook 10 years ago. I was familiar with Mrs. Hubbard's writings from the reflections she writes in Magnificat, a monthly Catholic missalette. Many of her meditations recall her daughter, Catherine Violet, but not all. Her reflections are probably the most moving and enlightening writings I've encountered. After your interview, I went to cvhfoundation.org and signed up for their updates. I will contribute to the Catherine Violet Hubbard Animal Sanctuary. Thank you for all you do. All right, I want to get to a couple of snail mails here. This is from Bunny in uh, New York. She just sent me, this is a great article. I'm looking forward to reading this. The government literally just admitted it's taking UFOs seriously. A wonderful article. It looks like it's from the New York Times Magazine, but I'm looking forward to reading that. Thank you, Bunny. Uh, And then finally, this is a collection of Christmas cards for other people. Uh, One for Sid Rosenberg, one for Tony Orlando, 
One for Rudy Giuliani, one for Rita Cosby. Okay, I guess I know what I'm doing for the rest of the day. Thank you. If we didn't get to your letter, we'll do it on the next edition of... In the meantime, in the words of the great Barry Farber, please be sure to always keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Let me take you back in time to December 9th. Do you remember what was going on December 9th? I know. It feels like years ago, doesn't it? It feels like years ago in some respects. And in other respects, it feels like four days ago. But what I was doing on December 9th was I was offering to answer questions on any subject. And I received a call from a gentleman named Gary. Let me play you his question and my response. Gary is in Inwood. Hello, Gary. Good morning, Frank. Are you aware of uh, Gene Shepard's cameo appearance in The Christmas Story? Well, yeah, he's also the narrator, and I think he plays... Uh, no, besides that, physically yes, in, the, yeah, in, the, in the... Yeah, Yes, I am. Doing what? Yeah, uh, I think he is. Um, he's either Santa Claus or I think no. he's Santa. He's somebody. Somebody. No, there. it's fifteen seconds. He directs Ralphie and his brother how to go up to see Santa Claus. Right. That's it. I knew it was something. Something along those lines with Santa. But uh, yeah, it's certainly a great picture. We'll be seeing a lot of it for the next uh, next eighteen days or next sixteen days. That's for sure. So anyway, well, Gary. Gary seems like a nice guy. But what Gary's doing there, I find to be one of the most annoying things in the world, right, is he's not asking a question that he's genuinely curious about. He's being that kid in the class. And he's not the only one. That was just one bit of audio to um, give an example of what we're talking about. He's being that kid in the class uh, who raises his hand to ask the teacher a question that he's sure the teacher doesn't know the answer to, that he does just so he could show the other kids in the class that he's smarter than the rest of them. I know who the fourth president of the United States was. So, and he's not the only one. A lot of people do this. So what I said to one of the other callers that did this recently, I don't know if it was last Friday or the previous week, I said, what we're going to do is we're going to do a day where... We give you an opportunity not to ask questions, but to share facts. 
because there's a lot of interesting facts out there. And I have come across a list, some I've added to myself, stuff that I've known, and other things I learned in in research for this segment of facts. So what I want to do is if you're a guy like Gary or Ted in Queens who always wants to call in and make a comment about the fastest animal or any of a number of other 100 people that call and wanting to share how bright they are and how much they know about things, if you have facts that are verifiable and true and can easily be confirmed that not a lot of people know, could be something that's new, something that we just learned this year, or it could be something that's 100 years old. Uh, you know what? You know what's a fact? Thomas Jefferson and John Adams both died on the same day, and that day was July 4th. That's a fact. You know what's a fact? That Abraham Lincoln's son was with James Garfield when he was shot. That's a fact. Um, I don't want you to call in and say, and repeat an urban myth that if you Google it is immediately disproven. For instance, one of my le- one of the, one of the things that people always one of these popular misconceptions is that Bill Cosby bought the Little Rascals because he thought they were racist and he didn't want to play them on television. That's not true. So that's not the kind of thing that you should call in and and say. Um, it's not a fact that Tab, a soda that I used to enjoy, stands for totally artificial beverage. What I'm inviting you to do for the next ten minutes or so is to call in and tell me facts that you think people would enjoy hearing, that not a lot of people know, and that you are willing to share. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. If you're one of these people that lives to call in on Fridays in our first hour and share how brilliant you are and all the answers and all the facts and all the trivia you know, now is the time to call in at 800-848-9222. Let me give you a few, um, a few facts that we learned in uh, 2020. A bolt of lightning contains about one quarter of a kilowatt hour of power. Even with recent energy prices, it's only worth about nine cents. Now, there are other sources that suggest bigger lightning bolts can be worth as much as $90. Isn't that interesting? It shows you Benjamin Franklin might have been onto something when he invented the, uh, the lightning rod. Um, in 1739, there were, this is a fact, in 1739, there were three times more coffee shops per person in London than there are today. That's a fact. Um, Listen to this. This is going to blow your mind. Fees from music playing on Peloton, you know, the exercise bike, the digital exercise bike, are a top 10 account for pretty much all major record labels right now. 37% of the world's population 2.9 billion people, a lot of people, have never used the Internet. 
2.9 billion people. There is a warehouse in Israel right now full of claw machines. Remember the segment we did on claw machines? You know, those cool things you put money in and the claw would get a toy and you never get what you want. There's a warehouse in Israel full of claw machines you can play remotely and they send you the prize if you win. That is a fact. Um, if you want, so these are the kind of things that we're talking about. Facts. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This to me, and I had to double check this, but I, I did double check it. And this fact that I'm about to share with you is accurate. We're going to be talking about nuclear, nu- nuclear, or as uh, Christine in Manhattan would say, nuclear fission or fusion in a minute. Japanese atom bomb survivors. You remember Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the atom bomb. Japanese atom bomb survivors lived five years longer and were less likely to get cancer than average Japanese citizens. That blew my mind. Now, if you think about it, maybe it makes sense. If you could survive an atom bomb attack, chances are you could forget to survive anything. All right, 800-848-9222. Let's see how you do in the fact realm. And please don't use this as an opportunity to be silly, to say, well, it's a fact that uh, Joe Biden's brain is a pumpkin or that uh, Donald Trump is keeping... um, you know, spray tanners in business. You know, don't, don't be silly. I, I think this is a real opportunity to share unusual facts that you may know that other people don't. Let us begin with Kevin in New Jersey. Hello, Kevin. Yeah, Frank, I got a pretty cool fact uh, that's, um, you know, locally inspired. Prudential insurance, right? Get a piece of the rock. You know it, sure. right? Yeah, of course. You know the logo. It's a big rock. It was inspired by a big rock that's in the Meadowlands in Sea Caucus. It's a big, giant rock. Um, I think it was a, <laughs> either one of their executives or a guy from the the uh, people that were doing their logo for them saw it. He was on a train going through the Meadowlands, and he saw the rock, Laurel Hill, it's called, and that was the inspiration for the rock logo. All right, that's Everybody not bad. The rock of, they think it's the Rock of Gibraltar, but it's actually Laurel Hill. We used to hang out there when we were kids. We used to go out there on the follow the train tracks out there and hang out on it. That's pretty good, Kevin. I like it. Thank you. There you go. The Prudential logo inspired by New Jersey. Patrick in Huntington, what do you have for us? Good morning, Frank. Morning. In honor of uh, or in regard to the FIFA World Cup, the word soccer originated in what country? I don't know, but I don't need to guess. You could just tell us. Uh, oh, the, your screener said I had to pose it as a no, question. No, no, no questions. Just statements. Uh, okay. The word soccer originated in England and was originally used to differentiate association football from its rugby cousin. So when all these Europeans say it's not soccer and they think it's just some, you know, American word name, Made up? No, it was originated in England. All right, I love it. Soccer, an yeah. English word. Thank you, Patrick. 
Yeah, you guys don't have to phrase it as a question. This is not Jeopardy. It's not Ask Frank Anything. And uh, now that uh, Kenneth here has taken to calling himself Ken for his sports reports, he is adopting a lot of the habits of Ken Jennings. So he keeps telling people, form of a question, form of a question. On this one, you know, the only thing you should listen to Kenneth on is to get right to your point and to turn your radio off, something that I hope Greg in New Jersey has been wise enough to do. Hello, Greg. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Frank, do you know that running back Earl Campbell had 36-inch thighs? 36-inch thighs? No, that's yes. a fact. Yes, yes. Uh, I used to think Robert Newhouse used to have the largest thighs, but I think his was together. They were 44, but Earl Campbell had 36-inch individual thighs. Give, um, give people an idea. What is the average person's – what is the average man's thigh? I don't know. <laughs> I don't well, so – I, I'm I, like I, it sounds pretty amazing, but unless you know the average to compare it to, I'm not sure we fully have a, well, an appreciation of how amazing well, it is. Well, 36 inch is larger than a lot of people's waists. Okay. Well, hey, that is yeah. big. That is Frank, big. It Thank is you, 20, 23 to 26 inches. All right. So see, that's not that amazing then, right? I mean, okay, 36 inches. Uh, the regular thigh is thir- 23 inches. I mean. Okay, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Neil on Staten Island. Yeah, Frank. Uh, here's a fact: you'd be better off feeding your son cat food than Pringles. Pringles is forty two percent potato content. The remainder being wheat, starch, flours, combined with vegetable oils and emulsifiers, salt, and seasoning. It's poison for the kid, Frank. Get him regular potato chips. Well, feed him prestige food. Well, and in fact, he does like cat food as well. So uh, it's not it's not an either or proposition for him. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Chris in Bethpage, you have a fact for us? Yes, um, the term "mind your p's and q's" comes from the old English uh, "mind your pints and quarts." Ah, so, I did know that one. That's a good one, Chris. I love that. You're exactly right. Uh, that is a good one. 800-848-9222. Rich, you have a fact for us, Rich? Yes, but I always thought that Frank Perdue had the best thighs. But anyway. Oh, uh, very good, Rich. Uh, well done. Uh, regarding the uh, assassination of JFK, an on-scene reporter for the local radio station was Ted Cassidy, who went on to play Lurch in the Adams Family. And Meatloaf, the singer's car, was commandeered by the Secret Service to take them to the hospital to see JFK. He was driving down the street with friends. The Secret Service agent stopped the car, and uh, they had to use his – he had to transport one of them to the hospital. Well, and if you want to check that, that's actually on YouTube. Meatloaf has said that in an interview. Yeah, I actually never heard that. Uh, but uh, sure enough, I just looked that up. You're right. Meatloaf – claimed he was at the JFK assassination, and they did commandeer his car. See, that is exactly the kind of thing we're talking about. Well That's done, Rick. Fact. That yeah. is great. 800-848-9222. JR in Brooklyn. Hello, JR. Hello. Good morning. The term the whole nine yards is a reference to a, a bandolier box when you were at war, when you were just firing bullets that come right out of the box through the uh, weapon. So they'll say, give them the whole nine yards. That means dump your whole bullet box on them. Okay, that's not bad. That's not bad. You know, that's more in the uh, where did this phrase come from 
um, aspect. And that's not bad. It's not bad. I'm not going to give you a bell ring on that one, but it is mildly interesting. 800-848-9222. Andrea in New Jersey. Hello, Andrea. Hi, good morning. This is a great idea. Thank you. Um, I have an interesting tidbit to share. What did, what, all right, I know the answer, obviously. What did Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, Ronald Reagan, and President McKinley have in common? Ooh, this is a good one. A Lincoln, oh, great. Lincoln, um, McKinley, uh, Martin Luther King, Reagan, and who else? That's it. Oh, they were all shot. That's right. But there's more to it. Okay. Three died, one survived. All of them, like myself, were Aquarians. They are the humanitarians of the horoscope. Abraham Lincoln knew that he would get possibility he'd get shot. Martin Luther King, same thing. Martin Luther King said, I didn't choose this. God chose me. Reagan also, President, President McKinley, all had ideas that were so out of the box and people didn't accept what they said and shot them. They were all Aquarians. We are the humanitarians. Well, I, that is interesting. I didn't know that they were all Aquarians. Uh, I know my brother-in-law, who's an astrologer, is going to be into that. But Andrea, what um, uh, uh, you know, what idea did William McKinley have that was so out of the box? Well, I you'll have to you'll have to look it up. But he was he had different ideas as far as society was concerned, and people were disturbed. And he was good at what he was doing, and people obviously were disturbed. It's like it's like with Abraham Lincoln. And Ronald Reagan, anyone who has unique ideas and wants to help humanity, um, they become targets. Okay, well, that's not bad, Andrea. I did not know they were all Aquarians or Aquariums, for that matter. Mike is in Monroe. Mike, give us a fact, Jack. How you doing, Frank? Um, just uh, this would be up your alley, Bruno and Delicato. You know, Sunny Red Son. Yes, from Donnie Brasco fame. Uh, he um, was in jail with Jimmy Burke. And he ended up marrying Jimmy Burke's daughter, Kathy Burke. And then he was, you know, he killed Carmine Galante. He was released from prison. And then he ended up going back to prison uh, for killing Frank Santora and uh, on on Vinnie Bastiano's orders. So when he just got out of jail. Yeah, I actually, you know, my cousin Natalie uh, is married to... Uh, Anthony, who is Bruno Indelicato's cousin. He doesn't know him because he's been in prison for most of his life. But it is interesting. They have the same name. They're both named Anthony Indelicato. So uh, I actually uh, I actually did know that. He was released in May. Uh, very interesting. Uh, 800-848-9222. That's not really the kind of thing that I had in mind. But, I mean, okay, that's not bad. That's maybe more interesting than where the whole nine yards came from. Um, Tom is in the Bronx. This is going to be good. This is going to be Cliff Clavin level, I know. Tom, hello. I'd like to say that soccer, from what I know, started in in, uh, Rome. And what happened was that it started on a battlefield. In other words, it was a, a war game. And when... When the Roman soldiers used to kill their enemies, they used to behead them, and then they used to kick the enemy's head around the field, and that eventually gave way to the ball. All right. Hey, uh, I'll go with your – I don't think it was Rome, though, uh, but uh, I do think there is something to – 
I think that's more, um, you know, Norse, right? And and I'm not sure. I think that's unconfirmed. I have heard that. I'm not sure that that's accurate. I'm hoping for something a little more solid. In so, terms as of far fact. as Tom knows, as he said, as far as I think. As said. far as he thinks, right. yes. There you go. 800-848-9222. Jeffrey is in the Queens. Hello, Jeffrey. Hello, sir. Let me just follow up on that last point you're making. Um, remember that movie that was based in South Africa, South America, the, the, the Mayans, with a lot of beheading there. You know, the, the blood culture from. Remember that movie? I don't. Okay, but tell you from ten, fifteen years ago, it was a great movie. Anyway, that culture from the Mayan culture, if they beheaded people, they certainly could be capable of creating the the the, the human head out of, you know to, to a ball. Jeffrey, did Kenneth tell you to turn your radio off? It's off. That's, it's not off. I hear myself so, back. Sorry, Frank. It is off. That was the TV. Okay, now it's off. Okay. All right. So go, okay. go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. So that, that, that's the, I definitely think a culture that's capable of, of human sacrifice is capable of creating the the ball, the head as a ball. All right. Um, you know, Frank. This is the, the internet. I could look up and give you a million facts that I, I'd want to do. I was thinking back when I was a boy, the Encyclopedia Britannica. That's what we had instead of the internet. Right. So right. So I'm I'm just saying. You know, in 70 years, life has changed. But the the, the concept of doing a radio show, having someone call, I would have opened up my, my Encyclopedia Britannica and found a fact that I found fascinating and shared it with you. Okay. Anyway, six months ago, about a year, I looked up a fact and I'll, I'll tell you what it was, Frank. I was curious to know how many people in America attend private colleges. Uh, I, wh- how many people attend what? In America, attend private universities. I'm going to say uh, 25%. Okay. Unfortunately, I forgot the exact number. Oh, it's, Kenneth, Jeffrey, you're killing no, me. I said you're killing months, me. I did it six months ago, and I confirmed what I, what I thought. That it, it, is, it is a large – compared to regular college, it, it's, it's like a 10 to 1 ratio, whatever. The point is, Frank, now I'm going to make a political point. No one – for another, another time – we don't, we don't talk about class in America, but here we go. we have thousands of private colleges. Okay. Wow, wow, wow. All right, right. Jeffrey, th- thank you. I mean, that was that was um, really something. I really, uh, I mean, you were you want you want to talk about something that has brought that brings the fact segment that I think was going really well to a grinding halt. It's it's going to be that phone call, and I I pin this one largely on Kenneth. <laughs> but let me say. That when we say turn your radio off, obviously that's the most important thing. But that doesn't mean keep your television on, keep your vacuum cleaner on, make sure your microwave is going, make sure you're playing a cassette tape on your stereo, make sure you got the record player on. Ideally, the background noise should be kept to a minimum, right? I mean, whether Kenneth tells you turn your radio off, turn your television set off, turn your microwave oven off, turn your stereo off, turn everything off. Turn everything off. I got to get out of here. I got to get out. Is there some place to go? Is there some place I can get away from all of this? And how, Bob? And how? Uh, today might be one of those days where we're envious of you. Karen is in Ohio. Karen, rescue us, Karen. Hi, Frank. It's great to talk to you. Um, so I heard on a radio show this morning that the original Tony the Tiger was the singer of the uh, Grinch Who Stole Christmas in the movie. Thurl Ravenscraft, I think, was his name. Oh, well, that is interesting. Wait, wait, but the the Grinch wasn't the Grinch Boris uh, Boris Karloff. 
I don't know. I just heard on a radio show this morning that it was Thurl Ravenscraft. The, right. the I know. The I know Thurl Ravenscraft was um, was Tony the Tiger. Um, okay, so he was the uncredited vocal vocalist for the song. You're a yeah, mean one, song. Mr. Oh, Grinch. Yeah, okay, song. okay. Yeah. I was thinking the of um, the character, you know, the the cartoon, the Grinch. No, 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 the no, voice. no, no. Okay, the song. that's interesting. The song. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay, that is a good one. Thank you, Karen. All right. Well, um, I think I think we've run our course on this one, right? I, I I feel better educated. I hope you do too. All right. We will move on to space and nuclear fusion straight ahead. That's the fact, Jack. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is Queen. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Hey, um, we're going to be joined by Dr. Sky, Steve Cates, tomorrow. And uh, there is a ton of interesting things happening in the world of space. But there's one thing that uh, I had to mention today. I really didn't want to me- wait until tomorrow uh, because what is happening with this Artemis, uh, this Artemis probe is really just so interesting. So the historic moon mission, uh, the Artemis project, so-called, concluded with a splashdown of the Orion capsule yesterday. And it's really so important. Now, we have not been to the moon in 50 years. And sure enough, this Artemis One project with the Orion moon capsule, which had dummies on board, splashed down on Earth yesterday. This this Artemis flight basically was a test flight to gear up to putting astronauts back on the moon later this decade. And it apparently went swimmingly, pardon the pun. So the Orion capsule splashed down safely uh, off the coast of Mexico Uh, bringing a close to the first test flight of this new spaceship meant to carry people back to the moon. Researchers were very excited to download the data from this successful 25-day flight to the moon and back. This sets the stage for Orion's next trip, which will be a loop around the moon with astronauts on board. That flight, Artemis II, won't come before 2024 at the earliest, Uh, Bill Nelson, the NASA administrator, talked about this. This time we go back to the moon to learn to live, to work, to invent, to create in order to go on 
out into the cosmos to further explore. I think this is really neat. So you might ask why the two-year gap between this successful test flight and us sending people back up to the moon. This two-year gap between Artemis 1 and Artemis 2 comes in part because NASA needs to retrieve parts from this capsule that just splashed down, then test them before installing them onto the next Orion spaceship. The gap um, I get a little nervous about because everybody's excited about what's happening with space travel now, but and this kind of a gap could dampen momentum for this Artemis program, which NASA is envisioning as the successor to its Apollo program that sent astronauts to the moon between 1969 and uh, 1972. Artemis 3 is planned for no earlier than 2025, and that would be a crewed lunar landing at the moon's South Pole. So if you are younger than 50, you have never seen Americans land on the moon. And this is going to be a big step. So I think this is very exciting. Uh, Evidently, this was a textbook landing. Orion's return to Earth came 50 years to the day after the Apollo 17 mission, the last humans to land on the moon. How's that for irony? I'm wondering if that was intentional. Uh, The other thing that I had to mention on the science front has to do with nuclear fusion, or as uh, George W. Bush or Christine would call it, nuclear fusion. If you look at so many of the world's problems, so many of the world's issues, so much of the world economy, so much of the debate about the world's environment, so much of it has to do with energy and wondering about the future of energy. Well, there's been a breakthrough in nuclear fusion, and this could mean near limitless energy. Researchers managed to release more energy than they put in, which is a positive gain known as ignition. Researchers made this breakthrough in the quest to unlock a near limitless, safe, clean source of energy. They got more energy out of a nuclear fusion reaction than they put in. What nuclear fusion is, if you're not up on this, and don't be embarrassed, I wasn't really up on this either, but nuclear fusion involves smashing together light elements, such as hydrogen, to form heavier elements, releasing a huge burst of energy in the process. The approach, which gives rise to the heat and light of the sun and other stars, has been hailed as having huge potential as a sustainable, low-carbon energy source. However, since nuclear fusion research began in the 50s, researchers have been unable to demonstrate a positive energy gain, this condition known as ignition, until now. According to the Financial Times, the National Ignition Facility at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California, that's behind this work, Researchers have managed to release 2.5 mJ of energy using 2.1 mJ to heat the fuel with lasers. Dr. Robbie Scott, 
of the Science and Technology Facilities Council, who contributed to this research, described this result as, quote, a momentous achievement. Fusion has the potential to provide a near-limitless, safe, clean source of carbon-free base load energy. This seminal result from the National Ignition Facility is the first laboratory demonstration of fusion energy gain, where more fusion energy is output than input by the laser beams. The scale of the breakthrough for laser fusion cannot be overstated. This is, no exaggeration, one of the most phenomenal developments in the history of human civilization. That is not an understatement. Professor Jeremy Chittenden, a professor of plasma physics at Imperial College, agreed. If what has been reported is true and more energy has been released than was used to produce the plasma, then it's a true breakthrough moment, which is tremendously exciting. It proves that the long-sought-after goal, the holy grail of fusion, can indeed be achieved. This is wild. Wild. This is game-changer. Game-changer. Mikkel Binderbauer, the CEO of TAE Technologies, was on NBC uh, talking about nuclear fusion. This is a hurrah moment for humanity, and it's going to create the backbone of stable, reliable power 24-7 to drive that entire ecosystem of electrified things. Well, there you have it. 800-848-9222. I think this is just tremendously exciting. Tremendously exciting. Let me say hello to you, Ken, in Pennsylvania. Hello, Ken. Yes, hi. Great show. Just wanted to propose Lee Zeldin for Speaker of the House. He's got conservative bona fides. He's demonstrated an ability to attract Democrat votes, and he knows the House. Well, I, you know, actually, you're not alone in making that suggestion. Miranda Devine said the same thing as well. I don't know if enough Democratic members of the House would go along with that, but that's not uh, – I think that's actually a much more realistic uh, suggestion than the suggestion of Donald Trump. Uh, you know, so I could, I could definitely sure. – I still think it's unlikely, but I think it's much more likely than, a, than the, the Trump possibility. Maybe, maybe there's something to it, Ken. I don't know. I think the perfect job for Lee Zeldin – is to run for Suffolk County Executive next year. To me, and if uh, you're listening around the country, that's a local elective office on Long Island, but it's a great job for him. He gets a raise. He doesn't have to go to Washington. He can actually govern. He can govern with a Republican legislature. He could build a bench for the Republicans on Long Island and around the state. And um, it's really, he could show that all these policies that he was talking about proposing during the governor's race can actually work on a small scale in a very large county of several million people. So that's the, uh, that's what my suggestion for Lee Zeldin would be. So yesterday, I didn't get to mention it because we had a lot of other things going on. Yesterday, December 12th, was the 99th birthday of the one and only Bob Barker. Now, I have uh, been a fan of Bob Barker literally my entire life. I've interviewed Bob Barker many times. I've tried uh, to get in touch with him the last couple of years, and I haven't had any luck. And um, he is an incredible person, an incredible game show host, an incredible activist, a great guy in my limited interaction with him. 
uh, when we when we spoke, we spoke a little bit about he's a veteran, and uh, we spoke a little bit about why he's been so vocal in veterans' charities and veterans' causes over the years. Can you talk a little bit about what you've done in this area and why this is such a problem? Well, I uh, I was in the Navy. I was in the Navy during the War of 1812. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, before I, I speak to the, the question here, <laughs> I was a, a Navy fighter pilot during World War II, and had I not been... I probably would never have been in radio or television, and I'll tell you why. I came home. I had a couple of more years of college. I went into the Navy when I was a sophomore, after the sophomore year. And I came home, and I wanted to, I was going to finish uh, and get my degree, and I was married by this time. And I wanted to get a, a job, and I heard about the manager of a radio station who was crazy about airplanes. He even had a little airplane out at the local airport. And uh, now I had never even been in a radio station. I knew nothing about radio. I had no experience in that area. As I said earlier, I'd never even been in a school play, nothing. But I thought if that guy is crazy about airplanes, he might like to have a former fighter pilot work for him. So I put on my naval officer's (laughs) uniform and my wings of gold (laughs) And I went in and I met G. Pearson Ward. And Mr. Ward and I talked for about 45 minutes about airplanes. And I had my first job in radio. So those of you that wonder, how do you get into radio? That's it. Become a Navy fighter pilot. Right? And look at the way things are going. It's a great way to see a lot of UFOs. Now, I know a lot of younger folks may not know Bob Barker from his 35 years hosting The Price is Right, but I know a lot of younger fellas, actually, you don't even have to be that young these days because the film is almost 30 years old, may know Bob Barker from his work in the Adam Sandler film, Happy Gilmore. So when uh, Bob was on in one of our conversations, we actually spoke about Adam Sandler and Happy Gilmore. But that Happy Gilmore, it is amazing what that picture has done for me. I, I was in that picture. It was released in 1994. And I did uh, Price is Right until 2007. And in all those years, I never taped to Price is Right that the audience didn't want to talk about Happy Gilmore. You're kidding me. Wow. And, and, and particularly young men. Young men loved that picture. And they, they want to know, hey, Barker, could, could you really whip Adam Sandler? Could you beat him up, really? In, in real life, could you beat him up? And I tell them, are you kidding Adam Sandler couldn't whip Regis Philbin. <laughs> How great is Bob Barker? I got to, you know, I'm going to make that a priority uh, this weekend and uh, see if I can get a hold of him again because uh, we did, you know, we got, we would speak on the phone pretty regularly and then we got in the habit of um, exchanging letters. He sent me this beautiful handwritten note. He fell down um, and actually had to be hospitalized about seven years ago. So I sent him a little get well gift that had a dog on it. And um, like it was a dog floral arrangement. And he got a big kick out of that. And he sent me a very kind uh, handwritten thank you note back. And I think I actually framed it. But um, I haven't been able to get in touch with him these last couple of years. His girlfriend did an interview with Fox News. He So he's 99. His girlfriend's 79. So he really robbed the cradle with her. 
And she said that he's still in great health. He's still sharp as can be, still looks great, sounds great. And he only takes one minor medication, I think, it might be for his blood pressure, but he's uh, he's got he's a very healthy guy. Exercises apparently every day. is a strict vegetarian, and he's very into animals. You know, we spoke about both his age and his love of dogs. What do you do all day? Well, I'll tell you, Chuck uh, Norris influenced my life. I uh, studied karate with him for years, and the thing that I learned from it was that uh, exercise is so terribly important, particularly as you get older. Now, I'm just around the corner from becoming 90 years old. I don't believe that. I'd like to see some ID there. I'll be 90 years old in December of this year. Wow. It's taken me a long time to get there. Yeah, I see uh, you're, you're, you're in such sympathy with animals that you're now counting by dog years for your actual age. <laughs> well, but I still work out. I work out every day. I've worked out now today before you called. And uh, I will continue. Of course, I don't do karate anymore, but I, uh, I do a lot of stretching, and I lift light weights, and I get on an elliptical machine, and I, I, I don't miss a day if I can possibly help it. That, uh, I, I think, uh, exercise and nutrition, they're important at any age, but as you get older, they become more important, and I try to, I try to stay in as good shape as you can at 90. And that was nine years ago. Feels like yesterday, that conversation. That was, and again, uh, I think it was the first of many conversations we had. And, you know, he talked about how he broke in in radio, and he started by hosting an audience participation show. And these days, on radio these days, except maybe on NPR, you don't even really have audience participation shows. And so we talked a little bit about how the media changed from when he broke in to the time that he left. How has the media changed, and do you think it's changed for the better or the worse? Well, I... Uh, See, you're retired question, now. You can I be honest. I like to expand it just a little bit beyond the media. I feel that society has degenerated. Now, I suppose every old man feels, well, it's sure not like it was in the old days. But things just aren't the same. People, people showed so much more respect for each other. And people showed so much more respect for things. And people, society was a, so much more pleasant than now. And it's reflected in television, I think. Uh, some of the shows that uh, are on television are disgusting. And obviously, it was not just veterans that was near and dear to his heart, but the other cause that motivates it, uh, pr- probably everything he does to this day was animals. So we talked a little bit about those two dual causes of uh, veterans and animals. Right now, I don't think there are two groups that deserve more respect and more attention, more than the animals and our returning veterans. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. they, uh, They face a life that is so tough. Life is tough enough without any kind of disability. And these young men and young women, some of them have terrible disabilities to overcome. And one of our conversations uh, off air, I told Bob that I would try on uh, every one of our shows to end that hour or that show the way that he did on The Price is Right. And I think this is actually something that even Drew Carey has continued on The Price is Right. 
you know uh, how we have to end the segment. Unfortunately, you know, you, I'm going to call you back out of retirement to end this segment the way you did every show on The Price is Right. I, I shall never forget to remind you to help control the pet population. Have your pets spayed or neutered. Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. hour, I'm going to tell you this. I want you to take a guess at what the last three songs we've just played have in common. So you had a song from Queen, you had the Eagles Hotel California, and now Sweet Home Alabama. What do they all have in common? I'm going to blow your mind with this. And maybe we'll find a couple other songs that uh, fit into that category. 800-848-9222. That's uh, 800-848-9222. It is very interesting. You know what I've noticed? Um, And I really get to monitor who's listening to the show pretty much based on social media correspondence and email correspondence. And I pop my head in occasionally to see what's going on in the uh, Facebook group. And if you're not familiar with this Facebook group, it's facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. And it's meant to be a forum for people to comment on uh, the subjects that we cover on this program. And I've noticed that I feel like there's an enormous amount of listeners. Not enormous. That's 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 an overstatement. But there's a larger than usual number of female listeners, all of whom share the same name. The name is... I see Claudia, too. What's your name? Claudia. Claudia and I alone seemed immune. Trust Claudia to have found her. Claudia, what have we told you? There's a whole bunch of women that listen to this show named Claudia. Now, Claudia is kind of an unusual name. It's not like Jen or, uh, I don't know, Christine or Laura, right, Uh, or um, Debbie, right? It's a relatively unique name. And I was trying to figure out why so many Claudias 
are are drawn to the show. And so far, whenever I try to think about things like this, a lot of my theories offend certain people. Like one of my theories as to why we have so many um, or Jewish listeners early on was because I talk about my fondness for lobster and shrimp and crustaceans, and that's all stuff that's not kosher. So I came up with the theory that um, a, a lot of Orthodox Jewish listeners listen to the show because they're getting sort of – because they don't eat that stuff and they're hearing me talk about it, that they're getting kind of a vicarious thrill out of hearing me talk about something that they don't indulge in. You uh, – by the way, the, the correspondence that I got – after that, I mean, there was Kyrie Irving, Dave Chappelle, Kanye West, and me after that. So, um, you know, I abandoned that theory. And But here's my operating theory on the Claudia situation. And if you happen to be named Claudia, call in 800-848-9222. We'll put you to the front of the line. My sister is named Claudia. And I am of the belief that the way you're named treats how people address you, how they talk to you, and how you approach the world. This is a theory I've had for many years. If I ever get drummed out of the world of radio for making too many comments about crustaceans, then I may explore this in a scholarly manner. But um, I talk to my sister a lot, and I'm wondering if maybe some of the ways that I've gotten in the habit of speaking to my sister have now translated to the audience. And those Claudias out there in the listening public have started to pick up on the Claudia communicatory vibes that I'm putting out there. That's my first theory. My second theory is that because I do occasionally mention my sister Claudia by name, maybe the Claudias in the audience subconsciously think, oh, this guy knows what it's like to be friendly with Claudia's. More than friendly. I mean, I love my sister. We're very close. But maybe they think, all right, either consciously or subconsciously, that, all right, this guy is a very Claudia-friendly host. Maybe it's okay to listen to this guy. One Claudia commented yesterday that she's been listening to this other overnight program for years, and we've won her over. But what is it? What is the Claudia appeal? I don't know. But those are my two theories. If you have a theory, whether you're named Claudia or not, you're welcome to comment. 800-848-9222. Joe is in Ron Concoma. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. Great show, like always. Uh, listening to that Bob uh, Barker uh, interview, brought back so many memories. Um, when I was a kid and I'd be home from school, my mom would always pop that on the TV. I would have a nice peanut butter and jelly sandwich and enjoy watching him. He was a great man. Um Great host and just a good humanitarian. And also, before I go, my sister downloaded the WABC app, so she is addicted, Frank. So you well, got that, yourself another Wonderful. I appreciate that. Um, anything she buys at WABCRadioStore.com, we're cutting you in on a commission, Joe. All right. All right. All right. Thank All you. Right, Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And I agree with everything you said. Um See, and by the way, you know, she may soon be in luck. I'm going to tell you in a minute. Um, Joe's sister may soon, I'm not joking about this, she may soon be able to win a signed Sid Rosenberg poster. Not joking. 
Not joking about that even a little bit. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But uh, I got a nice email here from another radio commentator on another network, very highly regarded, a uh, Hall of Famer. And he said, Bob Barker may be the most charming and suave living legend among us. I would agree with that. You know, I, I, he really is. And when I had Bob Eubanks on this show, I really enjoyed talking to Bob Eubanks. But Eubanks kind of took a little bit of a gentle dig at Bob Barker. And i, I be honest, it did really a little sort of alter my opinion of Bob Eubanks. Not significantly. He's still a fan. Still a fan. But until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. I found this interesting. Okay. I am... Uh, did you see this this crypto billionaire, SBF, who was arrested yesterday? We're going to do a whole crypto segment coming up soon. Not today, but soon. Because a lot of people still have questions about cryptocurrency. And they're wondering if this is just proof that the whole thing was a scam, or if this is one scammer in a field that it's still possible to make an honest living in. I think we're going to do that Monday morning in our third hour, maybe um, Monday morning in our in our fourth hour. By the way, we've I've decided that um, that that actually um, because this hour is not carried in either Tennessee or Alaska. That this is going to be the hour where if you have a lot of pent up frustrations and we don't let you on the air to vent about how much you dislike Alaskans or Tennesseans, if you have a lot of jokes that poke fun at Alaskans or Tennesseans and Kenneth is always censoring you in your first in the first three hours, no, 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 we don't want your kind here because this is the hour that they're not carrying. If you want to let loose and let the rest of the world know your true opinion of Tennesseans or Alaskans, this is the hour to do it. Shh. Remember, for the first three hours of the show, we're going to act like we love those Alaskans and Tennesseans. It's this fourth hour where we can be honest. We can be honest. You have an opinion you want to share about Lamar Alexander or Taylor Swift? I think she's from Tennessee. Happy birthday to you, by the way, today, uh, Taylor Swift. Uh, or uh, Sandler Palin, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Now this is the hour to do it. All right. 800-848-9222. But anyway, so this guy was um, arrested, Sam Bankman Freed. And he seems, you know, fairly guilty, but we'll see. Everybody's entitled to the presumption of innocence. Um But I was a little sorry to see him get arrested, not because I think he's not guilty, but because he is an investor 
in a media outlet that I have really come to enjoy. It's called Semaphore. We had one of the editors from Semaphore on breaking down some of these Chinese protests. And so I've really taken to enjoying these uh, these these daily emails that I get. I mean, I was just telling Matt, it takes me the whole day to get through my email. And maybe I'm on too many email lists, but I, I really don't know which of these that I can cut out because they're so I get so much of my news from these email lists. So I'm reading one of these semaphore newsletters. And it had a wonderful link to a Substack article from someone named Michael Story. It's all about someone named Michael Story. I thought it was so interesting. Michael Story had a fear of flying. For a decade, he avoided it. He would use trains or ships or endless car journeys. Then, one day... He set himself a target of flying at least once every 10 days. Imagine that. The guy's terrified of flying, and he has the gumption to fly once every 10 days. It didn't matter how far he went. didn't matter where he was going. He would just go on air flight apps, find a cheap return flight, and go. And it worked. The strategy had all sorts of other benefits. He gained friends, contacts, insight, and a reputation as someone who would go anywhere at the drop of a hat. After two years, he had a much bigger network and a bunch of esoteric knowledge, which directly led to at least two jobs that he couldn't have otherwise gotten. So it got me thinking... Have you ever had a fear of something that you overcame? And what was the fear of? How did you overcome it? That is the question. A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. 800-848-9222. And I read that this afternoon. Now, I read that as my son was, um, you know, crawling all over the place, banging on doors that were closed to keep him out of the rooms that the doors were closed to and uh, eating animal crackers off the floor. So I I don't want to make it sound like I sat there and concentrated for hours just on this question. But I thought I, I don't know that this really applied to me because I really can't think of anything that I was afraid of. Uh, my wife has a fear of heights, and I think she kind of overcame that when we went up the World War II lookout tower and the lighthouse in Cape May, New Jersey. But honestly, in my own case, I really can't think of anything that I'm afraid of. I mean, look, am I afraid of uh, the, the thought of somebody coming into my house in the middle of the night and murdering my family and me? Um It's something I don't want to happen, but I wouldn't say it's something that I perpetually live in fear of. I don't say I don't think there's anything that I have an irrational fear of. Like flying is, for the most part, an irrational fear. Being a fear of the dark is, for the most part, an irrational fear. Is there anything 
that you've been afraid of, that like Michael's story, you were able to overcome? What was the fear and how did you overcome it? Because in reading that story, I want to share it with you because there might be a lot of people that are afraid of flying or afraid of uh, swimming or afraid of anything, really. And they need to hear an inspirational story about how to get over that fear. And honestly, I thought long and hard about what I could share of a fear that I had that I've managed to get over. And I can't think of a thing. The only thing, I mean, there I've always loved roller coasters, always, from the time I was a child. I remember being five years old and going to Disney World. It's one of my earliest memories. My my parents got divorced when I was pretty young, and I don't have many memories of the two of them together. I, I think they got divorced when I was about five. And I don't have memory, many memories of the two of them together, but one of the memories that I do have is going to Disney World with both of them and not being able to go on Space Mountain. And all these adults... We're going on Space Mountain, and here I was, this little five-year-old, not able to go on Space Mountain. And it made me angry and frustrated and sad, all three, as a five-year-old, the whole cataclysm of emotions. And um, I had to sit back or stand behind and watch my dad and my Uncle Tom and my Aunt Sylvia all go on Space Mountain. And I had to – my mom, who had no interest in roller coasters – she stayed that back there with me. But I've always liked roller coasters, so maybe this is a poor example. But when I was a teenager, right, and you're finally tall enough to go on all these really scary roller coasters, 13, 14, and you could go on roller coasters that go upside down and do all these really crazy things, there were times when I would be on those roller coasters and I would be frightened. Now, they'd never stop me from going on those roller coasters, but in a, in the rare moments where I was really genuinely afraid of being on a roller coaster that would go upside down, I always loved war pictures, even as a young person. So I would close my eyes and think, and this is a horrible comparison to make, and I'm not making it, but I did make it silently in my own brain as a 13-year-old, and I'm sharing it with you now. I would think of soldiers that died in World War II and that had stormed the beach in Normandy and things like that. And I would think, wow, look, if these servicemen could conquer their fear to go into battle and have bullets flying at them, the least I could do is open my eyes when I'm on a roller coaster that's going upside down. So that was how I, I don't want to say I conquered, but that's how I got over my fear of very scary roller coasters. Is there any fear? that you've had in your life that you've gotten over? And if so, what was it? How did you get over it? 800-848-9222. Meantime, John in his truck has been very patiently holding. Hello there, John. Hey, Frank. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Good to hear. Good to hear. I was afraid of getting a ticket while I was on hold, but uh, uh, that the thread for those three songs, it's kind of easy as, it's pretty. I'm pretty sure it's Forrest Gump movie, right? I don't think so. I don't think. Uh, Sweet, Home Alabama, Sweet Home Alabama. Sweet Home Alabama. 
Sweet Home Alabama certainly is. I don't know yeah, about Bohemia Rhapsody and uh, uh, well, no, but the song and, wasn't uh, uh, the song the Eagles. The song wasn't Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, well, what was it then? Uh, I, you know, I, I'm driving, so I I can't. What was the What was the Queen song? Uh, the Queen song uh, was "Don't Stop Me Now." Uh, <laughs> you sure that wasn't in that movie? I, I don't think so. Again, it's been a while since I saw the picture, but yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, I thought that was the movie. That was the movie. I don't believe so. We'll I check. Like, but we're we're gonna play at least one more song, and maybe people will be able uh, to. Yeah, I was it like, out. oh my god, I'm gonna ask for a hat. I gotta get a hat. Well, you know what? Do I? Um, you know, um, we'll we'll find a way to give you a hat sometime soon. You're, you're anyway. the man. Hey, you know, I'm surprised you didn't like the the whole nine yard uh, fact. A little more. It didn't ring your bell. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, is it? there are so many phrases that we use on a day-to-day basis. No, but like, you know, the football analogy. and the, I, I thought I heard either you or Curtis talking about the whole nine yards. No, it was, that from, was, yeah, it was definitely. Yeah, that was definitely Curtis because it wasn't that yeah, interesting. Yeah. And uh, so it wouldn't be something that would be on this show. All right. 800-848-9222. Thank you, John. E. Frank is in Astoria. Hello, E. Frank. Yes, Frank. Uh, I would like to discuss something with you in regards to the uh, issue you just brought up on the air about Tennesseans and Alaskans. You know, I'm, I was born and raised in New York City. Uh, this city has a reputation of people saying that there's only drugs, crime, sex, and corruption in this city. Uh, I had a, a classmate named Amber. She's from North Memphis, Tennessee. And she uh, always would criticize the fact that I was born in this city and that I came from a very uh, corrupt type of environment. And I would say to her that, you know, in Tennessee, every like uh, Lamar Alexander, Al Gore, I don't know if uh, the Yankee manager, Aaron Boone, is from Tennessee, all of them have this tendency and belief in just believing in, in singing and, and believing in music and music is their only God. I don't like that idea that music is the only thing they should believe in in life, you know? And, and if they don't have, uh, like, the uh, the age of Aquarius, like uh, the fifth dimension, you know, the artists that came from Tennessee, it's like a sin for them not to sing and, and play music, you know? that I don't understand why people in Tennessee only believe, and I've noticed this tendency, they only like to believe that music is the only thing in, in their life. Well, thank you, E. Frank. That is exactly the kind of light, very light, because he was mild. That is the kind of light stereotyping that we're looking to do of Alaskans and Tennesseans. So that fits into our whole theme. And you know what, Alaskans? And you know what, Tennesseans? You don't like it? I think uh, maybe you ought to get your station to carry the fourth hour of this program. Here's that. 800-848-9222. What is a fear that you've been able to, able to overcome and how? 800-848-9222. Hello, Sarah in Wisconsin. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Frank. Um, well, just a couple. One plagued me as a child so much that I missed so many things, and that was this, a fear of throwing up in public. Really? Yeah. I just... I was devastated by throwing up. I think it was the first thing as a child I, I could I had no control over. None. Because you know when it's coming, it's coming. So then I used to ruminate it. I missed every field trip. You know, my mother would write me notes. I didn't tell her that. So I kinda lived with this 
irrational fear because I was never sick, really. The lion's share of the time I had the fear, it wasn't like I had the flu or whatever, but I had had the flu. And, uh, and you know, I think time, well, I'll tell you what really cured it is that I developed migraines in my 30s and forget it. All bets are off. I mean, if you're a migraine sufferer, you understand what that is. So then I would just march in and get it over with. And it didn't prohibit me from doing anything. But here's the big thing. Okay. I did have a terrible fear of flying. And my my ex-husband had a terrible, had terrible claustrophobia, but so did his mother. And I thought to myself, I mean, he couldn't get on an elevator. We traveled a lot. Wow. He did a lot of walking up and down stairs. Okay. And his mother had it. And I thought to myself, I'm not going to have any visible fears in front of my son. None. Okay. So I had this terrible fear of flying. I had my son. My son, of course, went with us everywhere after a while when he got it old enough and stuff. And I'd get on that plane with a smile, and I'd sit through turbulence with a smile and blah, 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 because I thought, I'll be damned if I'm going to pass on any fear to my kid. I love that. I love yes, that. So I you just to, made the decision just to get over it. To well, because I yeah, I didn't want my kid to experience my fear and then become a, become fearful. I, I I think that's great, Sarah. That's wonderful. That's the perfect example of the kind of thing that I'm talking about. I appreciate uh, you sharing that. I'm glad uh, your fear of flying and throwing up has obviated. And uh, hopefully you haven't thrown up on a flight, which I would think is a major nightmare for you. The horrible thing. But one more thing. Keep talking about Carmine. We love to hear about him. I'm not familiar with him. Thank you, though. Um, Now, you know, it's funny. I read that Michael Story anecdote about flying, and it reminded me of Kirstie Alley. Because she had the same fear of flying. And what did I tell you? Remember, her one of her closest friends, a guy that she says she was in love with, although they never you know, fooled around or anything, according to her, was John Travolta. And John Travolta is a pilot. So John Travolta, you know, he, she, she wanted to get over her fear of flying. So Travolta took her up in an airplane. And she said, I want to I land. I want to go down. And what Travolta did was he immediately started the process of landing. And just knowing that they could land that plane anytime she wanted, that helped her get over her fear of flying. So I'm curious, so far I'm not being flooded. I appreciate Sarah's willingness to share, but I'm not being flooded with the number of inspirational stories about people overcoming their fears nor the kind of light prejudice towards Alaskans or Tennesseans that I'd hoped. If you want to help us out on either front, you can do so at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I will say this, though, uh, that um, in terms of elevators, that is a big one with people. My friend Dennis, who I worked with for years, who was in in the event videography business, he would not take elevators. Any building he was in, because I think he, as a child, li- grew up in a in a housing project or something, and he was caught in an elevator that got stuck one time with three or four very portly people, and they um, they it made it a very uncomfortable elevator stoppage for him. So he was forever afraid of elevators for the rest of his life. And I would say, Dennis, 
elevators are the safest mode of transportation per mile in the country. And he would say, well, okay, well, that's great, unless you've been stuck in an elevator with three 300-pound people, right? Then it's not such so safe. And you know who else? I, I'm sure he won't appreciate me saying this, but I've invited him on the show a number of times, and he has not um, accepted any of my invitations, so I have no problem sharing this. You know who else had a big fear of elevators? Steve Malzberg, the talk show host, Steve Malzberg. He would not, at least if he could help it, he would do whatever he could not to take an elevator by, <coughs> excuse me, I, I was eating a uh, a peanut M&M earlier, got stuck in my throat. Maybe that's my fear, a fear of choking on a peanut M&M. But I don't feel that's an irrational fear. All right, 800-848-9222. Jay is in the Poconos. Hello, Jay. Good morning, Frank. So I got a couple of good ones for you. I had a fear of heights. And that was brought on by an accident I had when I was about 20. I fell off a building Ooh. and uh, got a sprained pelvis and a sprained back and 18 stitches under my left eye. Ooh. So the way I conquered that fear was to just focus on the work and not try to think about how high up I was at the time. And like one of the things I did, was we were at the Grand Canyon at the North Rim, and that's deepest part of the canyon and there's a marker that says this is the deepest part of the Grand Canyon is 5,000 some hundred some feet and I stood on that marker and looked down and there was absolutely nothing to keep you from falling into the Grand Canyon and that was kind of neat and um, the other thing was I had a fear of getting blood drawn oh that's a good one I hated the way that needle felt going into your arm. And so what I did was I watched them do it. And I still do it every time I get a IV or a needle or something. I, I watch them do it and it makes it okay. Well, that's interesting, Jay, because, you know, I'm not afraid of getting blood drawn. But I don't like watching them stick the needle in my uh, vein. I, I kind of look away. I mean, I'm not afraid of it. I, I give blood all the time. I, B- but I, um, I, that's an interesting strategy of beating it, to, ha- to actually watch them stick the needle into your vein. And Yeah, right. So, and then my wife had a major fear of flying, and we used to live on the West Coast, and we go back and forth to the East Coast. And I told her simply, I said, this is an expensive plane. That pilot makes a lot of money, and he doesn't want to crash this plane. He wants to get home to his family tonight, and there's nothing to be afraid of. And, you know, she's become a pro at it. And, and I worked. Act- Sorry? Yeah. All right. well, thank so- you, Jay. Appreciate that. 800-848-922. That's a big one with a lot of people. Needles and giving blood. My... Uh, my father's family, they have a, uh, and I never got this, but they have a thing. It's genetic, I think, where with blood or needles, they pass out. Now, my dad, you know, is a six foot two, tough guy. He's an athlete. He's, you know, he's uh, very, uh, you know, masculine, uh, you know, very, you know, kind of rugged. And he has always passed out with needles or blood. When he was in junior high school, 
or uh, yeah, I think junior high school, maybe even high school, they were watching a video about drugs and they had something with a needle and he passed out right in school. And I think that was the first time that he did it. When I was a boy, I had a nosebleed and my father, I, I still get nosebleeds to this day. And my father was helping me with my uh, blood and he uh, passed out, passed out as he was helping me kind of mop up all the blood that was all over the place. My sister has the same thing. My brother, Nick, the scientist, same thing. I never got that. I don't I don't think I ever passed out from, uh, you know, from seeing blood or a needle. But that is I don't know if you'd characterize that as a fear. That's more of um, I don't know what it is. But it's more of a like a, a kind of a I don't know I don't know what you'd call that but it's uh it seems like it's a genetic trait on the Morano portion of the family. Thankfully, I have uh, taken after my mom in that regard. Let me say hello to Kenny in Florida. Hello, Kenny. Hey, how are you doing? I'm well. My fear, my fear is getting shot. Let me explain that to you a little bit in detail. I'm a Desert Storm veteran. Oh. I did twenty years in, in I did twenty years in the Navy, and then I did another twenty years in Iraq and Afghanistan with diplomatic security services wow. for the State Department. And the way I overcame my fear was knowing I got a nice burial spot at Arlington if something should happen. And it got to a point where I just said, you know what, I'm either going to live or I'm going to die. So you know what. I'm going to take my chances and go from there. Well, Kenny, first and of all, survive. thanks for your service to our country. But when, um, let's say you're shot like in on the street, right? Let's say you're shot as you're mm-hmm. walking around and, and a random act of violence, a drive-by shooting gone wrong in some gang. Do you still get buried at Arlington? Yes. Oh, you do? That's great. That's mm-hmm. great. All right. Well, and I, I still hope you like, don't get shot, but uh, that is nice to know. I actually was shot in 2018. But um, who shot I didn't even you? Know it. Uh, Afghan. An Afghan. Well, a Taliban. I see. I see. Yeah. Well, uh... but just, but but it was it was it, that shot actually saved my life. To be honest with you, but uh, you know that's how things are here in Florida. You know, it, I worry more. That's why I carry here in Florida because I have that fear of getting shot here in Florida more than I did in. The, Iraq and Afghanistan. Wow, I'm glad you're uh, glad you survived, Kenny. I'm glad you got over that. Uh, glad you're okay. Glad you're still here. Hope you don't get shot again. And uh, I guess my only regret about that whole story is I wish, kind of keeping with our pseudo theme, he was shot by an Alaskan instead of an Afghan, and that would have fit with our whole way of doing things. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. David is on Staten Island. Hello, David. Yeah, howdy. Uh, I would like to elaborate that I think most people bad experience. They either saw it, read about it, or otherwise. In my case, uh, about uh, three, uh, two years old, my sister accidentally knocked me over a three-story porch while watching airplanes flying overhead. And I was probably standing up looking at the planes, and uh, she was afraid of them. She more or less uh, hid underneath a carriage. It knocked me over. I felt on my death survived with a uh, fractured skull, so I have a fear of height, one degree. And well, how did you get over I, it? How did you get over it? Uh, I think over time, I eventually jumped out of an airplane. Oh. Four so times. You, you made the decision in order to get over my fear of heights, I'm going to go skydiving? 
Unintended, yeah, it was uh, static, and it was I was on a, on a uh, cable. The other thing about it is uh, about three years later, after the fall, I was hit by a car, and I still remember it. And um, I tried it a couple of times to learn to drive, and I realized that uh, I couldn't take it to learning because the way they were teaching to begin with, and I wanted my family to teach me before anybody else. And uh, I just never pushed it. Right. I had a lot of punishments. David, what, uh, what neighborhood do you live in? I mean, I don't know the neighborhood that well anymore. I mean, I've moved around all over the place. You don't know what neighborhood you live in? I could give you the address. No, 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 19... don't give us the address. I just want to uh, I want to make sure I'm steering clear of, of you with all the uh, accidents you're experiencing. I want to make sure I'm walking on the other side of the street since we live in the same hometown. David, thank you. I'm glad you're still here. 800-848-9222. Fred is in Yonkers. Hello, Fred. Hey, good morning, Frank. Good morning. What's with the Alaskans? They're very irresponsible about their fishing techniques and whatnot. I hear they'll go fishing for the halibut. <laughs> Fred, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. After hearing stories of three-year-olds falling, four-year-olds falling from three-story buildings, people getting shot and hit by cars, that is exactly what I needed. Thank you. 800-848-9222. You know, I had intended this to be kind of a positive uplifting segment but it goes to show you when it comes to the other side of midnight you never know what to expect least of all me i certainly don't but the good thing is this that now you know where the phrase the whole nine yards comes from right i know curtis is relieved i'm sure many of you are as well let me say hello to uh, mark in westchester hello mark yes sir i am dreadfully afraid of flying since I was a little boy, uh, my brothers would swap out the seat to look out the window. And I just, you know, now that I'm bringing my children to other places in the world, I suck it up and I do the best I can to grip on to my seat and just not show my kids that I'm scared of flying, which I'm petrified of flying. I just don't want to take their vacations away. Ah, well, that's very that's very nice. It's similar to the story we heard earlier from Sarah, who said you just get over it for the sake of your kids, not let them see that you're afraid. That's good advice. Thank you, Mark. Uh, My uncle John just wrote me. He said uh, he had a fear of heights. So he did a tandem skydive back in 1989. So that's what the thing is. Sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta do it, right? All right, uh, we're gonna do the thousand dollar minute in just a minute. But uh, very quickly, let me say hello to Jody in San Diego. Hello, Jody. Hello. Hi, hello. Frank. Hi. Um, I used to have. Hi. I used to have an extreme fear of handling a firearm. I was very, very frightened of guns, and. Um, how I got over it was when the show Walking Dead came out about you know, 12 years ago, I started watching and I go, wait a minute, those women are shooting up everything, living and dead, and they handle these weapons so expertly. Why should I be afraid? So one of my good friends, um, husband, is a former Marine and police officer, and I asked him for 
handgun lessons, and I learned on an airsoft gun, and then I progressed to a Glock, and I can now, you know, I own a firearm now, and I'm very confident in handling wow. it. And it was a TV show that inspired me to get over my fear. That's great. See, The Walking Dead, sometimes that'll uh, that'll do it. I love it. <laughs> Thank you, Jody. Hey, uh, we're going to do the $1,000 Minute, and then Gary Korb is here. If you have a fear of smoking cigars, he'll help you get over it. Uh, those of you that are holding will try and get to you. Uh, but if you want to try and win $1,000, then be the seventh caller to 800-848-9222. We'll play the $1,000 Minute and talk cigars straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Billy Jean by uh, Michael Jackson. This is also a song that fits into the theme of the last three songs that we played. What is the theme? Maybe I'll tell you today, or maybe we'll continue that theme tomorrow. It's a little tricky, but I'll give you a hint. There's a list of songs. It's a finite list of songs. And everything that we've played um, over the last three songs fits that description. And this is the only one of Michael Jackson's songs that fits that description. The only one. I'm going to tell you. Maybe later or maybe tomorrow. We'll see. Um, all right. Uh, with that, we're going to talk with Gary Korb about cigars in a minute. A uh, big thank you to my friend Al Curtis for giving me the definition of mother wit. Appreciate that. Uh, we're both fond, fond of, uh, you know, people that are quick-witted. All right. Without further ado, it is time for... Other Side of Midnight presents It's the Thousand Dollar Minute Answer ten questions correctly in one minute And you could win one thousand dollars Here's your host, Frank Morano Thank you, Chris Libertini Alright, let us say hello to Andy in Hempstead Hello, Andy Hello, yes Andy, uh, have you heard this segment before? Right. Are you familiar with it? Yes all right. Well, I appreciate your excitement. Um, you, you you know the rules then, right? We don't need to go over them. Right. Okay. Ready to go? Ready to go. What are you going to spend the money on if you win, uh, Andy? I don't know. Pay, pay some bills. Okay. That's good. That's what I would do if I won the money. All right. All right. What color is grass? Grass. Green. What is the shortest month of the year? February. What TV game show was hosted by Bob Barker for 35 years? Price is right. What international soccer competition is taking place right now? Yeah. Not the world. It sounds like you almost said it just now. 
World Cup. Yes. What star of Mary Poppins and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang turns 97 years old today? I don't know. He's also the star of the Dick Van Dyke show. Dick Van Dyke show, Mary Poppins, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Diagnosis Murder, 97. All right, I'm sorry, Andy. Correct answer was Dick Van Dyke. He was the star of the Dick Van Dyke show. I'm going to put you on hold. And uh, in spite of that incredible enthusiasm, you, you didn't get it. Give, give uh, Kenneth your information and we'll send you something nice. Close but no cigar, as they say. And that leads us to our next discussion with Gary Korb. He is the executive editor of CigarAdvisor.com, a frequent, uh, the official cigar correspondent for the other side of midnight. We check in with him from time to time. And the reason I was eager to talk with uh, Gary today is because everyone's doing their holiday shopping. And from time to time, people have asked me when they're looking to buy a gift for me or looking to buy a gift for the cigar smoker on their list, what kind of cigar should you get someone? So rather than me give advice, let's turn to the cigar advisor himself, Gary Corp. Gary, it's great to talk with you. Thanks for joining me on the radio. Good morning, Frank. It is so great to be back with you again. I, I even brushed my teeth and combed my hair for my appearance this morning. Well, you're so. way ahead of me. You're way ahead of me, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, Gary, if people are unfamiliar with your publication, mm-hmm. what, what exactly is Cigar Advisor? All right, CigarAdvisor.com. If you enjoy smoking premium handmade cigars, Cigar Advisor is a website which is dedicated to providing news and information on anything and everything cigars, from how to cut and light cigars to cigar reviews, I do a lot of them uh, to buying, uh, gu- buying guides on all the major brands, to news about top new cigars, to interviews with the people in the industry who make the cigars, and a lot more. It's all there at CigarAdvisor.com. All right. Before we get into the particulars of what cigars people should get to for the cigar lover on their mm-hmm. list, what, okay. um, what, what in the way of accoutrement or cigar accessories is a must-have for a cigar recipient, a husband, a father, an uncle, a brother, who might be a cigar smoker? All right. Well, if you're talking about accessories, um, you absolutely have to have a cutter and a lighter. And there are different types of cutters out there, and cigar smokers tend to favor one or another. I have probably one of everything. There is your straight cut or your double blade guillotine cut, and uh, those are probably the most popular cut, which is when you cut the cigar straight across. There's a V cut, which makes kind of a cleft in the cigar. Those are also very popular. And uh, then there's the punch cutter, which looks like a little – well, kind of sometimes they come on a lighter, too. They come uh, built into the lighter. It makes a hole in the head of the cigar. And some people, uh, some cigar smokers like that. So uh, you got to have a cutter and you got to have a lighter. And lighters are another thing, too, because sometimes, you know, you'll you'll have a lighter that has uh, a torch lighter, which is one flame or two flames, three. You know, these jet lighters get up to you have to have a jet lighter. It's really the best thing for cigar. And they get up to like four flames. Mm. So if you smoke a really big fat cigar, you probably want to have a cigar with a lighter rather with three flames or four even. I, I kind of like two. I kind of like, you know, to, you know, meet in the middle somewhere. 
And because I think that's good for just any size cigar. What is the difference between, I mean, obviously I know, but for people that don't know, Mm -hmm. what's the difference between a straight cut, the so-called guillotine cigar cutter, Mm -hmm. the punch and the V cut? What makes one better than the other? I remember when I used to watch, Mm -hmm. um, you know, my dad smoke a cigar with other people. I would see, he would always say, or they would say that the V cut was better because it preserved the surface area. Is a V-cut superior? Is a straight-cut superior? What is the best way to cut a cigar? Well, it's not It's not a matter really of superior. It's, it's always with cigar smokers. It's a matter of preference. Uh, he's right, though. Uh, the V-cut does give you a recessed cut, which looks like a little cleft. Um, and the reason I call it a V-cut is because the blade is a V-shape uh, in the cut. So it, and it cuts across. It almost looks like a horse's cleft, you know, like a horse hoof or something like that. And um, that's right, because it's recessed, you will not, you may not get like some little bits of tobacco in your mouth or something like that, but it does <laughs> concentrate the smoke a little more. It's not as open as, say, if you cut the cigar straight across. So you're going to get a more concentrated smoke. Some guys like that. It, it gives, it makes the smoke a little, um, a little heartier, a little more robust in some cases. Um, and a punch cut does the same thing, except hmm. it's a hole instead of a cleft. All right. Well, those are all good. We're talking with Gary Korb. He's yeah, with uh, CigarAdvisor.com. They have a terrific holiday cigar gift guide on their website. Yeah. Let's say, yes, Gary, let's say, Gary, <laughs> that, um, yes. you know, somebody knows that uh, somebody knows their boss is a cigar yeah. smoker or a friend or a colleague, and they want to get them something, but they don't really know what kind of cigars that person likes to smoke, where do they begin? How do you know what to get someone? Okay, well, that's that's sometimes it's pretty tough, but usually if you know them personally, you may know what, what cigars they smoke, if it's a particular brand. You might want to get them uh, something that they already enjoy, so that's safe, you know, um, or you might want to get them something that's just come out recently from that particular brand. The other thing is um, I always say that if you're really not sure what to get the cigar smoker in terms of strength, because, you know, cigars range in strength, try to get something that's more in the medium body range, because even cigar smokers who like very bold cigars, they they will, you know, also appreciate uh, a good, you know, medium, medium body smoke. I guess um, I'm trying to think of a good example, um, for example, a Perdomo Cigars makes um, some cigars that are kind of more in that medium, medium plus range. Uh, Arturo Fuente makes cigars that are, you know, go from like kind of the mellow side way into like a very uh, full flavored cigar. So if you know the brand, you might want to stick with the brand. Or if you really know them well and you smoke with that person, uh, you you would probably you might even want to turn them on to something new. So. Um, so in this top 10 cigar list that we did this year, which will come out on Friday, uh, there's some nice uh, selections in there that uh, you may want to check out. And, of course, we have our stocking stuffer guide and our holiday gift guide. So I hope well, that answers the question. Yeah, and people could check that out at uh, CigarAdvisor.com. Yeah. Gary, there right. is there are a few things that have such a wide disparity of prices like cigars mm. do. It's not uh, crazy to – I think I was in Mexico at a resort. They charge some crazy amount of money for uh, a, a mm-hmm. Cohiba Cuban cigar and a Monte Cristo Cuban cigar, much more so than I would have paid in the United States. 
for people, for the uninitiated, if they're buying a cigar for someone on their Christmas list this mm-hmm. year, or even if they're buying for a cigar for themselves, if they're having a Christmas party or a New Year's Eve sure. party, uh, and uh, they're getting some cigars, does a more expensive cigar mean that it's a better cigar? Absolutely not. The difference between a $10 cigar and a $1 cigar usually is just $9, okay? Um be hard to find a one dollar cigar these days, but um, you know, I I say you know now I've I've spoken to many people about this over the years. Like we we're just talking about this uh, a couple weeks ago in our in our lounge. Um, the thing with the thing with cigars is the the cost is based on like anything else, the cost of goods. So if you're making a cigar with really really long aged tobaccos, really you know. Stuff that's been, you know, in the stocks and they've been saving it for something really special. Uh, that's going to be a little more expensive because it costs the cigar maker more to do it too. He's got to hold on to the, to the tobacco longer, things like that. But uh, you can find uh, really good cigars for still. You can still find really good cigars for anywhere between three and five dollars. I mean, if you go to the bundle area where you buy bundle cigars, they're not in boxes; they're kind of packaged in a plastic pack. Um, you can, there's some excellent uh, bundle cigars out there. They're as good as any, you know, Cuban Cohiba, maybe better. You know, it's it's not the price; it's the blend and what you like. And you can find a lot of stuff. Guys always ask me when I say they say, "What are you smoking?" I say, "Well, I'm smoking this." They go, "Oh, how much is that?" <laughs> they want to know how much it is because everyone is concerned about price. And the newer cigars that have come out this year, in particular, have been really good. But the prices have been a bit high, too. It's just the cost of goods. You know, it's just the, you know, the economy, too. Give um, people an idea. If they're looking mm-hmm. for a cigar for themselves or a stocking right. stuffer for someone else, uh, give people an idea of uh, a cigar that you have reviewed that people may want to try uh, that uh, they may not be familiar with. That might be a decent price cigar, but that's a good, solid smoke. Okay. Well... I think always one of the uh, safest uh, cigars, <laughs> one of my favorites, is uh, something, say, from Arturo Fuente, which would be something like the Florfina 858. It's not an expensive cigar either. It's beautifully packaged. comes in a beautiful box. Um, you know, it's a, the, uh, what do they call the um, that paper, you know, that, that's uh, like, like a rice paper inside. And they're beautifully presented. Uh, most Arturo Fuente cigars in the main line are reasonably priced, uh, so I would say the 858 or even a um, a Hemingway, the Hemingway line is also very good. Those are all Perfecto cigars with those little, has a like a, a nipple-type tip on the end of the cigar, which makes it easy to light, too. Um, I know that um, another good brand is Padrone, probably one of the most popular brands, I guess, next to Fuente. Padrone, their main line is also very reasonable. Then you get into the 1964 anniversary, the 1926. Then that's where the prices start to go up. But they're, they're all incredibly well-made cigars. Um, so I would say like a five-pack. You, know, if if you know, that's another thing that, you know, that um, you can buy a five-pack of cigars instead of a whole box, saves you some money, and your gifty will love it. You know, I'm sure if they like those cigars and then they might like it enough to go out and buy the whole box. 
uh, you know, next time. So. Give, give folks a pro tip, one thing about uh, cigars mm. or shopping for cigars uh, this year or really any year that they should keep in mind that they may not know. All right. Well, one of the things we already touched upon, which was, you know, price is not everything. Okay. Um, I think just, just, you know, I would say read some reviews, go to CigarAdvisor.com, read, read some of the reviews that I've done, some of the other guys I work with have done, some of the other writers, and see what, you know, really um, appeals to your palate. And then when you go into the store uh, or if you go online, um, you know, online it's different because, you know, you have to, you know, you're not talking to a salesperson, but if you go to a, a cigar store, retail store, uh, you want to make sure that the people in there are well, well versed, you know, they know what's new, what's not new, what's, you know, it's good, you know, and I would say to have a tobacconist too is very knowledgeable. So that's one of the things uh, you might want to do, but, uh, but like anything else, you should read up on the subject and um, so our advisor is where you can do it. Uh, absolutely. Cigaradvisor.com. Gary, always a treat to talk with you. I look forward oh, to seeing man. you Thank on you, uh, New Year's Eve Eve. Yes. I'm looking forward to that, and uh, I want to thank you. It's always a pleasure, and uh, thanks for giving me the time, and let's talk again soon. Thanks, Gary. Merry Christmas. Uh, Same to you. All right. If you want to comment on uh, anything that we are talking about, you can be heard for 15 seconds at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. song great as it is that has not fit into the theme of all the music we have played for the last uh two and a half hours the theme with uh all the songs that you heard prior to this one um has been that song by queen hotel california by the eagles billy jean michael jackson uh sweet home alabama all of those songs were part of a very exclusive club, and they just came out with this list yesterday. All of those songs have been streamed over a billion times on Spotify, over a billion times. So there's most of the songs that have been streamed over a billion times are a little newer. They're from the last five, ten years or so because the younger people are more into Spotify, but they're still... Quite a few songs from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and so forth, streamed over a billion times. So there you have it. All right. Um, That song, The Other Side of Midnight, should be on that list. It is available on iTunes for uh, $1.99 or something. Maybe it's just 99 cents. But it's well worth it. Worth every penny. Without further ado, it's time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Mike! 
Frank. Hello, Frank. Yeah. Hello, Frank. Hello. Oh, I wasn't sure if I got through. Uh, my father, rest his soul, loved cigars. When I was a kid, um, uh, I had an uncle who would smoke a Denobly while we were playing bocce. I could play bocce all day. When I moved to Florida, I told friends I will never play shuffleboard. I'll play bocce all day long. Forget love it. Love it. Carol. Hi there, Frank. I had a terrible fear of heights, especially being outside. But I used to fly on planes all the time, and I was fine. Wonderful. Uh, finally, Ray in the Bronx. Bob Barker is the D. Martin of game shows. Is it true you play Frank email? E. e Frank um, um, calls in to put Carmine to sleep? <laughs> That's true. Ray, thank you. Everybody that we didn't get to, call back tomorrow. We'll have more time to do this tomorrow. Until tomorrow, Frank Morano, good day.